tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today. 1800-938-007. Our free phone number. Won't cost you anything to make a call. Emma is producing today. Coming up on this morning's show, I'll be speaking to Johnny Luby in just a little while. A community activist is very angry at the Christmas parking charges in Thurles. We'll hear about a local family who are pleading to have their terminally ill son receive home palliative care. Listeners will share their views on various Topics. Andrew joins me as usual on a Friday and uh, today we discuss the passing of uh, Christine McVie of Fleetwood Mac. Our Friday panel will unpack the hot topics of the week. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tiptoday at tipfm. Dot com And of course, we're always delighted to hear from you. Johnny Luby is with me. Good morning, Johnny. Good morning, Fran. How's it going, lad? I'm very well indeed. Johnny, can I begin by putting it to you that Philly Lonergan is retiring soon as a caretaker in what was the vocational uh, college in care. It's now uh, doing this gig. Um, and before that, he was a barman in the Silver Sands. But more importantly, he's the ref who put you off the pitch many, many years ago. <laughs> And we're, we're asked to say hello to him and well done to him. So that's Paddy Lundigan. Do do, does Paddy ring a bell with you? Oh, God, does Paddy Lundigan ring a bell? He rings the hello on one bell and asks all the bells. <laughs> <laughs> did he, where, he put you off when? When did he put I, you uh, off? Oh, Christ, the boss. No, I, oh, I, I checked with him two or three matches. I hasted, uh, Now, I love Paddy, but I hated him refereeing because I seem to have always gone on the wrong side. I mean, I stayed on the feed with good referees, with the likes of John Maloney, the lot of nothing, Georgie Ryan, uh, yeah. even Tom Meehan in Cashel and uh, Dennis Fitzgerald, a uh, lot of mercy in them all. But, uh, and Eamon Brown, I might as well throw Eamon into the Oh, you better, yeah. well. he, he sent He was sending me off one night above Cloyalty in a junior hall match, and I said to him, you better put down Jim Luby because I'm, I'm down to play again next Sunday. <laughs> so, Jim got Jim got the line. But uh, yeah, Paddy Lundigan, he'd be a brother of John's in Mount Jai. Oh, right. I didn't realise that. Okay, yeah, so that's uh, the connection I'm ne- there. I'm nearly certain, yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Anyway, I'm nearly certain. Well, will, will you congratulate him? He's retiring anyway. Oh, uh, God, over 40 I, years in care at the college there. So. God above tonight. is a long stretch. Isn't, isn't it? just, yeah. By God, it is. And of course, Dunisky now has gone to be a wonderful school oh, there in care. You know, it's top class. And of course, they have a great principal there, Peter Creedon, involved in Tipperary Hall and Top football class. and all of yeah. that, you know. Yeah, a great man indeed. You, you were wondering about something, that, that women are living longer than men, and you, I, I think you have a, a theory on that, do you? Yeah, a friend, yeah, because uh, that came out here during the week, and of course, there's one place that problems will be solved in this country, and that's in the local pub. Oh, absolutely. You know, and we had a four or five lads there, I won't give their names now, because... Uh, one of them said, I'd be in dread of my life to comment. He said, because first of all, you'll quote me wrong. And secondly, he said, if I tell the truth, he says, I'll get no breakfast, dinner or supper. He says, for a bloody week. But uh, then, uh, friend, I'm outside Joe Hammersley's pub now here in our butcher stall here in Canolty, Ross Moore. And I just asked Joe, and, he, and Joe reckons that men are taking all the pressure. Mm. You know, and I said, look, I agree with that, you know. and that uh, Absolutely. You know, and and also we'll say they're, they're the providers of uh, money and uh, 
there, the hard work of oh, the whole Lord. Life. Oh, you're stirring it early this morning. The women, you know, they, they have a good time, there's no question oh, about it. And of course, sure. you often heard us dead like behind every uh, woman is a great man. Uh, <laughs> I don't and, think uh, that's the way it goes, but okay, I'll go and with of that. Of course, trying to qualify it all then, I rang. Uh, Timmy Fly this morning to wish him uh, the very best of lucky retires on Sunday week and yeah. we're talking away about this, that and the other thing and I just said to him, why do men live to be 81 and the women live to be 84? Mm. And I gave him my answer and of course uh, the wife was in the background and he asked her the question then he said, this is what Johnny thinks. <laughs> Fran, what she said I cannot repeat <laughs> on a tip FM or any radio station. So now that we have it stored, it's as simple as Very that. Very good. You know? and, and if any women want to complain, if they go into Joe Hammersley there <laughs> in Clonelty and give out the yard so. Yeah, and don't look for liver this morning because it is offered for the it's sexual drive and appetite and all of these are off the menu. But anyway, that's Joe Hammersley. But, friend, I suppose uh, somebody said to me, he said, would you like to be a turkey this week? I said, no, 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 no. But, friend, yeah, I suppose on the GA front, we are kind of in hard look last week. It's all, everything was a downer in the county, really, with mm. our three football teams, commercials especially, and also... Uh, you had Bellinair being beaten and then the Thomas Southfield, so it was disappointing. Whilst I did say last weekend, because we had come across them on the rugby field, Newcastle West, mm. the hardest bunch of boys I've ever come across, uh, they play it hard, they play it fair, and they would be in your face all times. And I suppose the commercials, uh, really, after beating uh, the Cork champions, uh, I suppose we were all looking for the Manchester yeah. United stuff from them, but... Uh, the, the, uh, Newcastle West are a fair bloody outfit, you know. And of course, heartiest congratulations to the, la- to the ladies of Mullinahoan. I'm glad who, you're mentioning uh, that. Yeah, who are now in the All Ireland final. Absolutely. There was a magnificent photo last Monday of, um, I think it was Mrs. O'Shea, uh, jumping for joy on the back page of the examiner. And of course, we listened attentively to Tip FM to see how they were going and all of that. So well done to them. They play, uh, I think they play now in Crow Park. It's magnificent for a oh, small area great. like Mullinahoan. But of course, friend, the very best of luck to Ross Gray as well, who carried the colours of uh, Tipperary in uh, a monster uh, final against uh, Monoline, I think it mm. is, of uh, Limerick. Uh, Ross Gray have a very good team. They'll come up against the physical outfit in in uh, in Monoline. But having said all, I think uh, there's a, a former rugby player from uh, Dina uh, in charge of Monoline and a couple of more lads as well with Tipperary connections. But nevertheless, all of us in the County will be rooting for Ross Gray because it would be marvellous for them to get into a, a, or to win the Munster final. I suppose on the rugby friend, the big one was uh, uh, you had big wins for Cashel and Nina mm. last Sunday. Nina, or Saturday, Nina especially because they had down the table toppers and as a result of that, they brought Cashel up maybe into second place in the uh, AIL. So it would be marvellous. It is marvellous for them. Clan Mill, of course, uh, uh, let us down on Saturday last, but this weekend they play Brough away in Brough, and that promises to be a wonderful game of rugby. Then in the Derby games, Feathered beat Carrick on Shore below, and Carrick on Shore came out on the right side of the score, maybe I think it was 16 or 17 5. And uh, uh, of course, the big one was on the hill where the War of the Roses killed Fetal and Clem William. There was a shake hands after the match, but no bear hugging or anything like that. Like None that. of that unmanly stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fetal were lucky enough to emerge victorious on the day so fair play to them uh, tonight the county board draw friend I have to look up the map of Ireland because I have my phone doesn't google it's in bodies in Caparoo yeah. where, uh, 
whatever the name of God that is, to, between the Silver Mines and Nina. I was going to say it's up that way, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, friend, I'm hoping to get in there for the first time uh, uh, ever in uh, Buddies in Caparua's. Uh, I like going to these. I was asked to go someplace else tonight, but I, I probably won't go. I'll probably go to Caparua. Oh, I'll tell my missus that I'm going to Sir Rollins. Uh, <laughs> she, she probably won't know better. She's listening on the radio. Well, this but, is the thing. Uh, Somebody's going to tell her anyway, you know that. Oh, quite yeah. right, yeah. You see, friend, uh, sympathies, of course, to the Sherlock family there in Bally Griffin in Golden on the death of uh, Michael Sherlock, a wonderful yeah. man. He was married to, to the, one of the Cormacs, the famous clan from Rose Green. And uh, they had three grandbys, Eamon, uh, died there last year. The Lord of mercy upon him. And Mick himself was a wonderful man to me. He'd always ask you in Golden uh, how are the lads doing on the hill and that. And uh, he passed away last night. So sympathies to Eileen and the two boys who are in Australia. They probably won't be home for a day or two. So uh, we'll see later on. Uh, I suppose it's like everything else, the things that happened, uh, the power of the people at the moment has kept uh, the tolls away from rising uh, in price for mm. six months but seemingly the tolls can do whatever they like themselves they needn't even take take on board what the government are doing uh, yeah, what the a, government yeah. say and of course mentioning the government I wish to God that they got more involved in these banks bonuses and, uh, and all of that yeah, how, how do you feel about that 20,000 uh, bonuses now for uh, over 500 grand uh, yeah, I think taken up yeah Personally, I think it's an absolute scandal. Considering the way that they, I know I've said it before, that the three banks in Tipperary, uh, in Care, uh, Cashel and Templemore, uh, were closed down without even a murmur or a whim or whatever it is. Mm. We should have we should have went on strike that time, the whole of Ireland, to, keep, to retain our banks. And I remember you saying, Fran, as well, as that a lot of things are done online and, and mm. uh, all that kind of thing. Well, if that is the case, why do they deserve a 20,000 bonus? Admittedly, some of the girls and boys at the counter and at the lower end of the scale certainly do. Yeah, but, but they they but, won't be getting the twenty grand bonus. No, you can be but, sure. and, and and that is wrong. But when you have uh, uh, somebody on five hundred thousand, mm. and they and they're talking about. Uh, uh, I would say a twenty thousand bonus for for what five hundred thousand. But, but they're telling us, Johnny, that they can't attract the kind of talent they need to lead the organisations uh, without having these astronomical salaries. Gosh, our friend, listen to me. Is this is? Do you mean to tell me that the top fella? I mean, when you look at Michael Michal Martin, and uh, you, you throw in Eamon Ryan into the equation, and you throw in uh, Leo Varadkar, mm. there's three. Uh, bosses of their respective thing and the three of them together wouldn't come to 500,000 yeah, and yeah. if you ask me whether we like them or don't like them they have all the pressures to make the decisions and everything else yeah. uh, I have no doubt that the 500,000 is an absolute scandal and as a matter of fact if I get a chance today I might go with my plaque card someplace and say that the uh, thing is an absolute scandal on on Tuesday night class we played chaos above Lacey to 45 and didn't I fall out with the great Nell Breen did you? not, not uh, we'll say verbally. Oh, right, actually, okay. She was my partner at the table. <laughs> and we cleaned up. Imagine we beat two All-Ireland winners. Wow. Uh, Pat Fox and uh, Conor Gleeson. Wow. We put, we put manners on all of them. But uh, <laughs> Nell is one of those, those great card players and very rarely does she make a mistake. And if she does, Fran, she's well able to... Uh, uh, the language might be chimed <laughs> at times. But, uh, of course, Fran, I must mention the Duella Plowing Association. They have, uh, they're in care at, uh, tomorrow evening, Saturday at around 5 o'clock. Uh, it is for the hospice. They have uh, a tractor's 
trail of uh, lorries, you name it, vintage, everything, and it is all in aid of the hospice. So uh, fair play to them. They take off from Cashel on the old road. They have to care around 4 o'clock, and hopefully they'll get a good turnout. Uh, lights will be switched on at, at 6 o'clock. That's in that lovely town of Care. And, uh, of course, friend, we also have uh, a, a, a brochure here in front of me on Saturday week. Canolty hmm. uh, Ross Moore Vintage Club Lights lit up for Christmas 2022 in aid of Alicia, a wonderful little girl that's going to school in uh, Clonolty and has been maybe two or three months in the Children's Hospital in uh, Crumlin and, or Temple Street, I think it is. And uh, the, this truck, tractor and car run Saturday, December the 10th, commencing around 5 o'clock. Registration is uh, 20 euro. They have a light show uh, and a whole thing. Uh, the run is at 7 o'clock. Hopefully, uh, people will turn out because uh, it's a most deserving cause where, cause where tr- uh, trophies, was it spot prizes and everything else will be in that lovely neck of the woods in that village of Clonolty and Grossmoor. And uh, friend, yesterday morning mm. I went to see Sergeant Merchant. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Our system wasn't hectic. I see. And, and uh, they had to get, like a horse, I had to get scoped. <laughs> so I did tell the nurse when she found out who I was. I said, will you give me a double dose? She said, I'll give you a triple dose. So, friend, I was out for the count, but we had a, a, a wonderful crack. Our merchant taught us, our sergeant fortune taught I was, uh, uh, he shook hands with me and the whole lot, friend, but after he shook hands, I conked out and, and uh, that was I, it. Uh, so what, and, and how are you? What, oh, I'm, uh, hey, friend, hopping off the side, but eating everything wrong, you see, and eating it oh, too quick. Enough. I mean, I was a kind of a, like when I looked at my menu on Tuesday night myself, I mean, I, I had a, a sausage in a sandwich uh, with uh, a bag of potatoes inside in it. Oh, uh, I just tell you, friend, you see, and even uh, the pint of Guinness after all that then, and uh, I needn't say anything, to all repetition coming up. Huh? So, uh, Murchin, I think Sergeant Murchin has it all sorted now. Has but, he? Uh, right. He has, yeah. But, uh, friend, of course, you had to strip everything off. Oh, my God. You see, and I had to get into this gown. But I did just whisper to the nurse, I said, listen, I said, I, I actually have a pair of long johns on. <laughs> she said, when did you put them on? I said, uh, the 1st of October. <laughs> oh, God, she said, you better leave them on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, friend, they were left on. You must but, have been uh, some sight. Yeah, oh, it's unbelievable. Going down to Fair Long John's, down to the down to some bit of a theatre. That's absolutely fantastic. But uh, it's a fantastic hospital, friend. There's no question about it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, the staff are magnificent. Nothing are brilliant. But enough just said to me that uh, a bunch of house keys were found in Clear Park, there uh, where the castle is. Mm. And uh, they're left into the Garda station. If anybody lost a bunch of uh, house keys, uh, go to uh, the Garda in Clear. Right. and uh, hopefully you'll get them there. I'm just a bit concerned that you were having a procedure done and somebody lost house keys. They wouldn't... <laughs> they wouldn't. No, no, maybe not. Um, Michael was on to us from Thurlis and he says, why do husbands die before their wives? Because they want to. Boom, boom. <laughs> boom, boom. A friend of mine used to say he's dead now, he'd say bingo. <laughs> <laughs> but, friend, oh, just mentioning bingo, some uh, Nelly O'Connor oh, goes ahead better. every Tuesday night and, of course, the, uh, Glenn Gould is driving and all the rest of the uh, bingos because they they all do it just for the, their own parishes and things like that and the best of luck to them all. But, uh, friend, sure. uh, just to finish up, I suppose, I get, I get, uh, I'll probably be into the station before Christmas and I'll get Joe 
Hamilton to, to uh, do a few rushes. Will you? Will you? Because the sausages were gorgeous last time. <laughs> we're, we're, we're easily bought, aren't we? Um, uh, Fran, tell... Oh, you're getting me into trouble now, you see, again. Uh, Fran, tell Johnny Luby that Clonmel Rugby didn't let us down last weekend. They put up a great fight against the very strong lead league leaders. Oh, oh, they didn't. No, and I'll tell you, and they have a split the pot going every Friday night now, and uh, 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 every... Uh, you're just every trying to lick up to them now, aren't you? No, not at all. I'd be friendly enough with the lads. I met him uh, coming back from the derby game in Cali Conchure, uh, there at the halfway between uh, Fedot and uh, between Lithrona and Clonmel. Right. Uh, there in the halfway. I think it's Nana Carty man uh, owns or the wife is from Nana Carty, one is or it? the other. Anyway, right. the other, one or the other. And uh, that. But uh, yeah, look, uh, they they had a big game on Saturday last, but I suppose at the end of the day, it is about winning and staying up. But they're not too far away. They're in mid-table. And if they happen to beat Brough uh, uh, tomorrow, please God, in Brough, well, then it's a different ball game Absolutely. again. Will, will you ask Johnny to congratulate Sean Lunigan and Michael Kennedy? They were refing the Munster Senior Football and Hurling Finals this weekend, <laughs> and South Tip refs must be doing something right, it says. Yeah, yeah but I suppose... No, 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 don't start. <laughs> they, ne- they never came across anybody like myself. Playing the hurling, playing the hurling, not football. Bloody Paddy Lundigan, had he anything better to do than say he sent me off? Well, he's uh, retired now. He'll be able to meet up with you and discuss he, what happened. He, he certainly will. I finished on this when Siobhan was a young man, the eldest daughter. She's party now, but when she was maybe three or four years of age, neighbours brought her up to see me playing against uh, I think it's Danica or the Tracy's up in Clonolty mm. in the old in the old pitch, and uh, they said uh, they were uh, they were trying to point me out. And the match, there was, she was five minutes late coming in. And she says, uh, uh, they said to the young one, Siobhan, look, uh, your daddy is out there. Uh, I think that's him that scored a pint. This other woman said, no, he's not. He's actually sitting beside you. He got sent off. <laughs> so, friend, that was that for five minutes. And what did you do with the, I mean, did you wear the glasses while you were playing? I did, Jeff, friend, and I wore, I was one of the first ever around that to wear the, I'd say I was one of the very first to wear a helmet. Yeah, you see, I couldn't, uh, you see, the, and even them when the glasses that frog up will say, now, goalie, John Lee, me be put out the ball uh, the lads I would say I'd be playing full forward and uh, they'd send in a high ball and they'd tell me about 10 seconds what was coming Johnny the ball is coming so I'd be pulling <laughs> I'd be, be be pulling be pulling but I remember one day fine, I'll finish on this I'm in that lovely neck of the woods of Penalty Ross Moore they had a wonderful goalie back in the 80s there in the 90s uh, Andrew Friday uh, uh, and uh, wonderful goalie but just to get the crack going at the start of the match uh, I said to Fran I said by, uh, to uh, Andrew I said uh, he said Johnny no goals today Andrew I said I'll tell you one thing I said you have some courage playing behind these three chickens <laughs> that was Cecil Ryan was one of them and I got slow up <laughs> never before a ball came in so they were my escapades on the hurling field but they were great days you know uh, I love it well Paddy Lonigan remembers it all very well anyway so <laughs> he does, yeah. look, a- look after yourself Johnny right, thanks hey, ta- Thanks. thanks very much. Bye-bye, Bye-bye, thanks, you thanks, know. Thanks, thanks. That's uh, the great Johnny Luby there, as usual, on a Friday, cheering us all up. God knows we need cheering up at the moment, don't we? And uh, tonight, uh, that uh, GAA draw is, of course, in Capper Road there, up around Silvermines. All right, we'll take a break. Back with more in just a tad. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.
Jer is certainly not a Man United fan anyway. He says, Fran, Johnny's standards are mediocre if he keeps using Man United as a yardstick. They even sacked their best player. Don't let him off with that. All right, Jer, I won't. I won't. But in fairness to their best player, I mean, after that interview with, with Piers Morgan, there's not much they could have done, I would think. But uh, there you go. Uh, Thurless uh, Town community activist Tommy Barrett is with me. Tommy, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. Good to talk to you today. Tommy, you're normally a measured fella and you're normally sort of quietly spoken and stuff, but you're kind of cross at the moment, Tommy. I am, friend. Um, maybe I'm getting contrary. But, um, <laughs> well, it happens to us all as we get older, but what, why are you contrary in particular, Tommy? Well, friend, I heard this week, I suppose, Torlis and Melissa District are offering only 30 minutes um, free parking in December leading up to the Christmas uh, period. And uh, I suppose straight away I felt that, you know, usually in Torres we're supposed to have 15 or 20 minutes free anyway. Mm. So really, it's not, they're calling it an incentive to encourage people to shop within the retail outlets in Torres. And I really wouldn't go along with that, that, that it, is, it is an incentive. And mm. I suppose I, I've looked around and I've done a bit of research on other towns in, in, in uh, the county. And Torres comes out the worst out, out of all the towns. I think I had the discussion with you before, Fran, where okay. I kind of said, they're, they're telling us, like, you know, um, one council, one county. And I think it would make sense that if we had a unified Christmas party initiative in all the towns, at the moment it's, it's confusing. You actually have to go and, and spend time looking up and see what, what the parking, um, Christmas party initiatives are. Mm. Well, and, and most even, of the other towns, Tommy, they seem to have two hours free, I think, don't they? they do. And even, like, Templemore, Torres, Ross Grey are in the same district. Templemore and Ross Grey have free parking throughout the town every Saturday for the month of December. Right. And we have 30 minutes free. Mm, I, know, <laughs> I know in Cashel as well as free parking in all the public car parks there for the entire month. That's right. I see Martin Lynch was welcoming that there yeah. this week. But like, what I found quite interesting, Fran, in Tipperary Town, I'll take that for an example. Yes. There's, there's free parking in all car parks throughout December, plus two hours free on street throughout December. Now, there's an offer for you. Yeah, because how could you do your Christmas shopping in 30 minutes? You know what I mean? No, and like the point I'd be making, Fran, is if it was me... I'd be putting the two euro in anyway because you're going to get delayed with someone. You're going to be looking around the shop, and you know there's no incentive then, like you know. But um, why is there not a uniform um, attitude to parking around the county? I've never understood that fully, Tommy. No, no. I think I think at Christmas time there should be friends. This is going to lead to a lot of confusion, you know, uh, for people. But just I, I put in a freedom of information request there, friends. Just in relation to the money received, you know, from parking charges. I thought it was quite interesting. In Thurles last year, 2021, 168,000 was raised in parking charges, okay? Right. In Tipperary Town, 49,000 was raised. Well. That means Thurles made 129,000 more than Tipperary Town. Yes, in Thurles, we're getting 30 minutes free parking, and in Tipperary Town, they're getting free parking in all car parks throughout December, and two hours free on street parking. So the, the match doesn't add up there, friend, you know? Who makes this kind of decision? I mean, how how is that decided upon? I don't know, Fran. I'd, I'd imagine it's, it's council officials and, and councillors who would be involved in that decision, Fran. Um, but I, th- I think it's most disappointing anyway for Torres, especially, Fran, when I suppose uh, retailers have suffered, especially in Torres, with the delays with the Liberty Square, even though it's looking lovely now, but there was a lot of delays and, mm. and closures and things like that. And... Um, in more recent weeks with both corner and delays that, that happened there because of the works that went on there that indeed caused their own issues as well. 
yeah. um, going forward. So really, it's just a final. But look, it's only the it's only the, the second of December, friends. Um, I, I'm coming on today just to really appeal to the Torlis district officials to to review 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 this and, and hopefully. Some, some positive might come out of this. I don't think 30 minutes is adequate for a town like Torres. And we do, friends, have um, lots of um, big retail outlets in Torres, and I do encourage people to shop local. But um, the council had this um, initiative where it says dwell a while, to shop mm. and dwell a while in Torres. But certainly 30 minutes doesn't encourage you to dwell a while in Torres over Christmas. So dwell for 30 minutes in, 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 in Torres. Do you think it's, uh, it's not too late at this point for maybe a rethink of this, Tommy? No, definitely not. And Torlis is a great town, um, uh, very proactive. And I think, you know, we, we, we have a vibrant town and the square is looking well. Um, you know, Torlis is the only town in Tipperary to have two uh, TDs from the town. Mm. We have five local councillors. You know, yeah. um, pro- proactive people involved in the council. We have very vibrant officials down there with Sharon Scully and things like that. Um, I sent them an email yesterday and just asked them respectfully to review this. Um, some of the feedback I've gotten from people around town People aren't happy with this. And look, look at the other towns. A common sense approach here needs, needs to be given going, going forward. And I hate coming on being negative, but there's lots of positive things going on as well in Torres. But look, um, hopefully this can be turned into a positive trend. Well, hopefully so indeed. Now, I don't mean to dwell on the negative, but what in the name of God is happening at Bowes Corner, Tommy? Yeah, it's most disappointing and most frustrating I suppose we were told that uh, 500,000 was going to be spent on, on both corners and we, we thought eventually that it might resolve the issues that were going on there and the safety concerns but um, what has happened there Brian, is that the footpaths have, have been widened yeah. and it's making it extremely difficult for even cars and I, I wouldn't be the best driver now Fran, um, but you know lorries and, and buses they're having to mount the, the curbs to get around them. But it's, it's, the it's made it even tighter than it used to be. Is that not fair to say? It is, Fran. Uh, the, the carriageways have been um, have been reduced in size, and which is a major issue um, in a town like Torlis where you have um, heavy goods vehicles passing through the town with, with no bypass. Um, it, it's laughable, really, Fran, when you, when you go up there. I walked up there last night and, and had a look at it, you know. Mm. Um when you're taking the left turn up, up, up to the up the bridge, you have to actually go over onto the other side of the road. You have to go over to the other side of the road in a car. So I can imagine what that's like in, in a, when you're driving a, a truck, truck or a bus or, or whatever. And yeah. I know someone was telling me yesterday that a cyclist near missed up there coming out of the train, the, the, oh, the train station yesterday. So um, I don't know if I know all these engineers and all these different stands that look well on a computer, but when you put them on, um, when you put them on into the real situation, it doesn't seem to to work out, you know. But yeah. um, well, as, as you say, a couple of negatives there. But I mean, Thurles is a fantastic town, Tommy. We're always at pains to point that out, and a great town for shopping as well. But uh, hopefully, there'll be a rethink on on, on the parking fees anyway. That's right, and I see we have lovely coffee shops there now, and beautiful, uh, yeah. great retail outlets for me as empty clothing shops and things like that. So really, I hope that they will be reviewed. Right? So, All right. Well, if you hear anything, you might let us know, Tommy. I would, and Sam, could I take the opportunity? I was talking to Johnny Luby earlier to, to wish Paddy Lonigan all the best in his retirement. Um, Care was one of the first schools that I taught him when I when I qualified, and that that gave me a lot of interactions with Paddy. Ah, oh, very good, very good. He's a great, great chap by all accounts. A great chap, and we wish him well in his retirement. <laughs> thanks, Tommy. Made life easier for you, so uh, over there. So all right. uh, no, well, no, thanks a million, friends. Thanks, Tommy. Look after yourself. Now, happy Christmas to you, Tommy, and to all your family as well. Thank you, and bye bye to you. Thank now. you, friends. Bye bye. That's uh, Thurlis community activist Tommy Barrett uh, speaking to us there. Now, while well, shoppers and Nina will be able to. 
uh, avail themselves of three hours free uh, daily parking in many parts of the town in the run-up to Christmas. Teresa uh, thinks it should be implemented uh, sooner. Teresa, good morning to you. Oh, good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Teresa, and thank you for coming on with us this morning. Will you tell me what are your concerns about parking in Nina? Well, I think three hours is very, very insufficient, Fran, to be honest. Because if you're meeting somebody for lunch, we'll say, okay? Yes. And you're going out for the day, and you're meeting Mary Jo, whoever it is, and uh, you're going into the restaurant, and you're having a bit of lunch, Christmas lunch. Well, you would be very worried trying to get back to your car within three hours, wouldn't you? Well, if you were having a nice day out, you would. But just oh, think, nice think of the out, poor, yeah. think of the poor devils in in Thurles with only thirty minutes. I think that's shocking. I think that's absolutely shocking. Yeah. yeah, I don't know who makes the rules when. Quite frankly, Dennis. Yeah, you'd wonder about that, Teresa, because it always concerns me why there's not a uniformity to to parking. I mean, for instance, in casual free parking in all of the car parks for the entire month of December, you'd imagine that that should be the way it is. Yeah, look, we've been through COVID. We've been through the worst time we've we've ever been through, really. And you would think that the retailers would have some kind of cop on, wouldn't you, at this stage? To implement. You know what I mean? Right, well, the it's, retailers don't really have a say in this, you know? Well, right. Well, yeah. I, it must be the council then, is it? It is. It is. The local authority would be making the decision, yeah. Yeah, well, I think they're making the wrong decision. If they want people to shop in the in the in local towns, they need to implement more yeah. free parking. Yeah, have you all of your shopping done yet, Teresa? Not even started, friend. Not even done. <laughs> even... You're like I, myself. <laughs> What about yourself? <laughs> uh, sure, look, I'm like an ATM machine, Trees. I just give them money oh, yeah. and they, they work away, you know. That's, that's very handy, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's very expensive, but it is handy, I, I, I have to admit, indeed. Yeah, are you a Christmassy person, Trees? Are you looking forward to it? Yeah, absolutely. I look forward for the grandkids. Yeah, yeah. the grandchildren. I have a, I have a new uh, new grandchild in, oh. in the house. Oh, have you? A, li- a little boy or a girl? A uh, little girl. She's only five weeks old. Oh, stop. She'll be spoiled. Spoiled rotten. Yeah. How many grandkids have you? I've got two. There's a boy is six, and she's, as I say, she's five weeks old. That's great. The week before last, we were talking about grandkids and that special bond with them. Would you go along with all of that? You would. Oh, absolutely. It's lovely. Sure, it makes Christmas, doesn't it? Yeah, sure, it does. It's it all does, about indeed. the kids at Christmas, isn't it? For, for sure. Teresa, call on the uh, the powers that be there in Nina. What are you saying to them? I would I would uh, encourage them. I really would encourage them to, to, to uh, look at this again because, I mean, I don't know why even they actually introduced this in December. Why not bring it a little bit earlier than December anyway? Yeah, because some people start their shopping you know, in, in November, I'm sure, so... And maybe some of them start a little bit sooner, I don't know, but I think it's the wrong move, to be quite honest with you. I think if they need people to shop locally, that goes for every town. They should encourage them to shop locally. All right, well said. Uh, Teresa, we wish you well. A happy Christmas to you, and particularly to your little grandchild as well. Um, before I, I say goodbye to your friend, I want to wish you huge congratulations on your 10th anniversary. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We were in the rag last night playing a gig, Teresa, and we had a great, yeah, great old time. Yeah, I'd nice. say that was a great night. Oh, fantastic. I'm still recovering, Teresa. But... Oh, you're still recovering. <laughs> well, you sound very good anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Teresa, a real pleasure. Thank you and a happy Christmas to you, Thank you, you so much, Brian. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye to you now. Bye-bye. That's uh, Teresa in Nina. Three hours uh, free daily parking there, but uh, Teresa thinks it's not enough. What do you think about that? 1800 938 007. Now, Wendy was in touch to share her views 
uh, on parking in Clonmel. She sent us a voice note. You get a measly half hour in the old Tesco car park um, if you're lucky enough to get a space in there because it's always very busy. You can get two uh, free hours parking in Care Town all year round in the Care Square. There literally is no incentive to go to Clonmel Town to be perfectly honest because you have to pay through the nose for parking. Clonmel does something like free parking every Saturday in December in the council car parks only. But, you know, what about all year round? And that's uh, Wendy with her view uh, there. And uh, don't forget, if you want to send us a voice note on any topic at all, we'd love to hear from you. And that's uh, 083 311 for our WhatsApp. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie And you're very welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Now, let me just clarify something that uh, emerged from my chat there with uh, Tommy Barris. It's free parking every Saturday in Cashel during December, and that's parking in the Main Street car park there and the Friar Street car park uh, as well, but not on the streets there, Okay, And it's very important to keep that in mind. Now, the Templemore swimming pool saga continues. You may remember we spoke to uh, Deirdre Ryan, founder of We Just Want to Swim Templemore a few weeks back and several hundred people took part in a protest in Templemore recently calling for the local community to be allowed access once again to the swimming pool at the Garda College there. Well, Deirdre joins me now. Deirdre, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Great to talk to you today, Deirdre. It's a bit like a soap opera, isn't it? Because there's various episodes of this and we think we might have it sorted and then it moves on again. What is the current situation, Deirdre? Well, look, the current situation is on the 9th of November, the Garda College put out a public statement to say that by the by late November, the community groups and the schools in the area would have access to the swimming pool. Um the following day, the schools contacted the Garda College and they have done so numerous times, emails, calls. And the Garda College has stonewalled every inquiry made by the schools. They have ignored them. They have not responded to any of the calls or emails. Um, so it's not hard to believe now, I think, that the college never had any intention of allowing the kids access to the pools. I think they made the statement to make the community give up and and go away. And uh, we're extremely angry about that situation. What can you do at this stage? Because, I mean, you've, you've done it all, really, haven't you? I mean, lots of publicity on this, huge protest about this, um, and still no success. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's moved to a different um, stage now because uh, I think it shows... Uh, the college does not give a damn about the children in our community. And by not responding to any calls or emails, I think it shows the contempt for the community by the college. But it also illustrates their con- their contempt for Michal Martin, for Helen McAtee, for all those ministers who really wanted to move this along and resolve it. And ju- um, just remind us what the teacher said again, because he he didn't see this as much of an issue and thought it could be fixed rather easily. He did. He said that as a uh, as a country, we promote water safety and we promote swimming for children. And he said that if we can get this resolved, we all just have to work together. 
And I think it was his intervention along with Helen McAtee that uh, encouraged the college to make that statement. And I don't know if it's the chief superintendent up there making the decisions because it's so secretive up there. But it's like all these adults are playing a game of chess with the lives of our children. And it's not a game for us. It's life or death for our children. If our children can't learn how to swim, they might drown. And I think, I think because of what the college have done now, they have lost all credibility, not just in the eyes of the community, but in our political circles, because they feel like they were lied to. I mean, how can we trust the guards when we can't trust the word of their training college? Guards are supposed to support and protect their community. And the, all the Garda College has done now is to show their disrespect and disregard for the community in the worst possible way because it has put our children at risk. Now, where the Garda College is concerned, I mean, there's all sorts of concerns there from the college itself. For instance, the cost of energy, the cost of upkeep of the pool and all of that kind of thing. And I presume insurance plays a part in all of these things as well. Um, do you think it can be resolved at this stage? Because it seems that, you know, both sides getting more entrenched. Well, I think now's the time where um, Micheál Martin, Heather McEntee, or Helen, uh, Heather Humphreys, and I think the Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris, now has to uh, explain to the public why the Garda College has gone back on its word and treated the college so abhorrently. I think the person or the persons who made the decision to stonewall all the inquiries and to go back on its word that person needs to be named and made accountable for this dishonesty. We had the Taoiseach saying that this has to be resolved. We all know how important this issue is. It's about children learning how to swim. And if the college thought we, the community, felt strongly about this three months ago, now we feel extremely angry about it. And we want somebody to be made accountable for this decision. We want it explained because... And, you know, I want to acknowledge this week, I've spoken to a number of Gardaí who, who work in the college, and they've expressed shame and embarrassment that the college management has behaved in such a dishonest and sinister way. Well, I'm sure so, they wouldn't see it as, as being dishonest at this point, but what, what can you do now, Deirdre? What, what can be done now, do you think? I mean, is it a case of more protest for this? For sure. Um, and I think... You know, we're coming up to Christmas and I think it'll be in January where we start these protests. But believe you me, these protests will get bigger and stronger. But now it's, it's actually about our politicians, uh, the Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris, uh, Micheál Martin, to stand up and really um, talk to the college and look for an explanation and make the college stand by their word. The college said on the 9th of November that the community would have access to the pool. They have ignored every call, every email since. And that is unacceptable. This behaviour is abhorrent. Is, is it possible, Deirdre, to try and put some balance to this? Is it possible that maybe that they're they're looking to the start of the year for this because coming up to Christmas being a busy time and all that, maybe they're looking to the start of the new year where this is concerned? But Fran, they have never contacted the schools to let them know this is the issue. Whatever plans they had, they stated publicly it would be the, by the in late November. If they had changed their mind, they have made no contact 
with the communities and the schools that want access to the swimming pool. They've stonewalled them. That, that behaviour is, is abhorrent. It's unacceptable. It's disrespectful. If they have had certain things in mind, then talk to the schools. Let them know that mm. the schools have been stonewalled. And it, it, one of our listeners is wondering, is the pool operational at the moment? As in, is it being used? Is we it, don't know. It, right. It's so secretive up there. We can't, uh, nobody's allowed talk. I mean, some of the guards have told us that they were told and instructed. Okay, well, we, 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 we don't want to go down that line, if you, if you don't mind, Deirdre. But, okay. But in, in term, you don't know whether or not people can actually swim in that at this point. Well, we know that the public are not swimming in it. Right. So okay. whether the staff are up there, we know this the swimming pool is operational. It's it's never been turned off. It's it's always on. Right. We don't know if if the um, employees or other guardy are using it. All we know is the public have not been given access when right. they were told they would. Okay. So in the new year, then I mean, if you don't get this resolved, you're talking about more public protests. Absolutely, and more interventions by our public representatives. Um, Jackie Cal was at the Garda College yesterday. He made a video on Facebook and he'd spoken to um, uh, Patrick O'Donovan from the OPW. Mm. And they've said that they haven't received any application for a licence, which means the college has not sent up any application to the OPW to grant the licence. So the book stops with the college. There's a block in the college. All right, Deirdre. Well, we'll follow the story as best we can. Um, but in the meantime, on the run-up to Christmas, there's no hope of uh, swimming lessons happening in, in, in Templemore. No, and it means we're heading into another year after two years of COVID, another year where our children haven't had access, haven't learned how to swim. Um, heading into summer of 2023, where, again, our children are at risk and as a community, we're just devastated. All right. Deirdre, good to talk to you today. We wish you the very best. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Good, good morning Thanks, to you, Deirdre. Bye-bye bye to you now. That's, uh, uh, Deirdre speaking to us there about the plight of uh, schools and the young kids <clears throat> where access to the pool at the Guard Training Centre is uh, concerned. The listener says, well done to Deirdre, who has perfectly described the feeling and disbelief from the Templemore community at the moment. The Garda College really need to do something about this and um, they are behaving shamefully, it says here. Uh, another listener is saying, uh, all the local schools have still no access. How many children are in these schools? St. Mary's Templemore, St. Joseph's Templemore, Cullum Kills, uh, Templemore, Killay, Drum, Lockmore, Barnan, Clonmore, Temple Tuhi, uh, only a few schools uh, named at that. This is one of our listeners. 1800-938-007. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. Now, the Doyle 
has been told of the plight of a local family who have been informed that palliative care is not available at home for the seven-year-old son. Now, Deputy Michael Lowry read a heartbreaking letter from the boy's parents in the Doyle uh, yesterday, and he joins me now. Michael, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. I, I found this absolutely heartbreaking. Michael, will you will you give us the, the background? Well, this this little boy is Danny. He, he's I'm getting feedback on the phone there. Okay, um, I'm not sure if we can do something. But are you are you okay now? Uh, hello, hello. Yeah. No, I'm still getting the feedback. Okay, what I, what I'll do, Michael, is I'll get yeah, uh, I'll I'll, I'll ask yeah. yeah I'll ask Emma to call you back there and see if we can uh, uh, fix that where that is uh, concerned, and uh, we'll do our best uh, to get a decent line there. You can keep your calls and your text uh, coming into us, and just to repeat again, by the way, that if you want to send us a voice note. Rob was delighted uh, to hear from you uh, on 083 because it's something that we're starting to do on the programme uh, right now. Just listening to Deirdre Ryan, it says the real issue uh, to be li- highlighted here by the media is not what will be done by the community of uh, Templemore from January, but to use the power of uh, media to strongly question why the Garda College publicly released a statement saying that they would allow access to the schools uh, by the end of November and then to ignore that. And um, yeah, so that's in from uh, one of our listeners. Again, this is something that we'll come back to again on the programme. All right, what we'll do is we'll take a break and we'll come back with Michael Lowry in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now we go back to uh, Jeopardy, Michael Lowry. Hopefully you can hear me okay now, Michael. Yes, Fran, thank you. Um, you were going to give us the background to that heartbreaking letter, Michael? Yes, uh, little Danny has been battling stage four cancer, a highly aggressive cancer, a rare form of cancer for the past two and a half years. And during that time, he's endured grueling treatment schedule. Uh, Unfortunately, because of the nature of the cancer, he relapsed and the disease is now very progressive. Danny has been in and out of hospital. He received outstanding care and the family are extremely grateful to the paediatric ward in Tiberi University Hospital. He was then moved to Crumlin. He's in Crumlin since February. And obviously, while he's there, uh, he's receiving, you know, the best of care. But... Danny has endured endless cycles of chemotherapy. Uh, he's had a kidney removed. He's on high dosages of chemotherapy. He's had a stem cell transplant. He's had 39 sessions of radiation. He has had several multiple bone marrow procedures, innumerable blood transfusions, and unfortunately, uh, all to, to no avail. Danny was also uh, travelled to Barcelona and Ulrich to receive... Uh, treatment on clinical trials that wasn't available in Ireland but he's now in a position where he's near end of life and the parents had one request and could I say as well that the child uh, little Danny, seven years old his only wish was to go home and be at home and the parents looked and sought for palliative care nurses and a team to attend his home so that they could take care of him in his own environment. And that request was refused. Uh, the only request 
at the parents' house and I, I put it on the doll record last night because it was in their letter that they wanted him to die at home with his family in his own community, surrounded by all those who know and love him, which obviously includes his brothers, his parents and his immediate family. And I, I was absolutely dumbfounded. I could not believe uh, that this service was not in, uh, in place. We've had a flurry of activity over the last uh, number of hours late last night and this morning, and thankfully we're making progress in regard to it. Is it just this area that uh, the palliative care for, for children is not available, Michael? Is it available in other areas? It, it's a sketchy service. We don't have it in that part of, of the southeast. It is available in Dublin. It is available in Tralee. It's available in many places across the country, but not available there. Now, this has been an issue that has been raised on a number of occasions with various ministers, and they're in the process of recruiting. And that process has been much slower than was anticipated. But in Danny's case, I looked last night, I made numerous calls, both political, medical, Department of Health to HSE, and this morning I was contacted uh, by the Assistant National Director of Primary Care Service, who confirmed to me that everything would be done to assist and support Danny and that a package will now be put in place and that he will be brought home to his home place and that everything that he needs will be provided for. I've been speaking to his parents, uh, particularly his mother. Um, I've given them the contact numbers. They've arranged for a meeting uh, in the afternoon with them uh, to go through it. Uh, so that's, you know, very, very important, the short term. And the immediate problem is Danny. And I'm glad to say now uh, that Danny will be looked after and he'll have the opportunity to come home and be cared for at home with the love and tender care of his parents and family. And of course time is of the essence here Michael so are you assured that this will happen quickly enough? Yes uh, I've had numerous calls this morning with the people responsible for putting the programme in place Danny hadn't a good day yesterday but he's a little warrior and he recovered and he's good today I spoke to his mother this morning and she said he's good in the sense that you know he's bright and alert and uh, anxious to get home so the the real problem here has been the the the, the lack of clinical governance and the skill set that's required to deliver the service in a home setting and the main missing individual would be a paediatric palliative care consultant uh, they're in the process of appointing one but you, for this service to be delivered, you need a specialist consultant to be there to give the direction and to be available. You also need fully trained nurses uh, that are specialised in palliative care. <clears throat> and um, because obviously it's, it's a very sensitive medical case and you're administering high doses of controlled drugs, so everything has to be done properly and, uh, you know, procedures have to be followed. But So in this case, people are going to be drafted in from other areas to provide the assistance that's required. And obviously at national level, we'll have to pursue and ensure that proper structures are put in place and that this doesn't arise again and that we can have this service available to the people of South Tipperary in particular. Right, but until a consultant is put in place, this may happen again. This may be the case. It may, it, yes, but I, I, I think, um, as I said to you, when I raised this, I tried all 
avenues yes. to get a response. I wasn't happy with the responses that I was getting uh, when I raised it in Dáil. Since I raised it in the Dáil, I've had a flurry of activity. Uh, I've taken numerous calls. And could I say, uh, Fran, what really impressed me was the public outcry in relation to this and the public reaction. I could not believe last night my emails, my phone lit up with people from all over the country, trained, qualified nurses offering their support. I had a phone call yesterday evening from the nursing staff in the paediatric unit in Tiberi University Hospital saying that they would take time off, they would take holiday time and that they would do a rota and that they would bring the little at home and look after him in his home. Now, you know, the gestures that we've had over the last uh, 12 hours have been absolutely amazing from Tipperary and indeed from all over the country. And sure, why wouldn't they when, when they, they, they hear about the plight of this family? A family at this particular time, they, you know, privacy is important to them and all of that, Michael. They shouldn't have to go public like this, sure? They shouldn't? No, no. And she, the mother and father wrote that letter as a result of frustration yeah. and anger at the lack of response from the efforts that they had made. I mean, they approached all channels. They didn't get the response that was required. Uh, they met with the teams, uh, you know, parents met with the palliative care team in, in, in the southeast. They put forward the case and why they wanted the child home. They got all the excuses and the reasons why it couldn't happen, why the service wasn't available. Uh, but And that's when they decided that they'd have to go public. And actually, there's one line in their letter which is said, it is our intention to highlight Danny's case at the highest level in the most public of ways, if necessary. They tried every way themselves. They didn't succeed. And then they wrote the letter. And I have to say, the letter, when I read it, was absolutely heartbreaking. And I, I availed of the opportunity immediately to talk with the Taoiseach, to talk with the Minister for Health, to talk with the HSE and everybody responsible and ask that we get a humane response to an unbelievably deserving case. Case. But Danny can come home now. Yes, uh, the, the, the discussions are, as we speak are taking place uh, and I have been assured, as I said, by the Assistant National Director of Primary Care, she has confirmed to me that facilities will be put in place, that arrangements will be made, that Danny can be brought home, uh, obviously subject to the medical advice of Crumlin Hospital, and that there will be a full home care round-the-clock package available for him in his own home. We can't imagine what that family is going through uh, right now, particularly yeah. on this run-up to Christmas. It's, it's unimaginable. It seems trivial at this point, Michael, but can I ask you, because I know you put a question in the doll about the swimming pool situation in Templemore as well. Um, there's a big outcry. I'm just looking at the screen in front of me. It lit up where this is concerned. Um, what can you tell us about that? Well, what can I, I can say about that is that this is totally unnecessary. It is unacceptable. Uh, I attended a public meeting. I raised it with the ministers. The minister for the Office of Public Works has told me that as soon as he gets an application for use of the pool by the Garda authorities, that he will allow it to happen. Now, the Minister for Justice uh, instructed, and I use that word advisedly, instructed the authorities in the Garda College in Thurles or in Tipplemore to accept applications for use of the pool by local communities. And uh, I understand that those applications have, are being made. And I would see 
the result of that, that the minister's advices will have to be followed, that the pool will have to be reopened to the public and that it will be made available again, in particular to the children of the Templemore area. This has been a divisive issue. It has brought, uh, what would I put it, unnecessary focus on the on the college. There has been a fantastic relationship between uh, Templemore College and the community. Yeah. The college itself is the lifeblood of the local economy. There's always been interaction between the community and the college. It has always been positive. This has been a, ne- a negative episode and it should end promptly. All right, Michael. Thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. Uh, you Deputy me. Michael Lowry speaking to us this morning. 1800 938 007. The text and WhatsApp is 083 Now, yesterday we discussed the banker's bonus with a few of our listeners, and one of our regular contributors, uh, Connor, joins me now. Connor, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. And uh, good to talk to you today. Connor. You, you're going to make a bit of a statement that might have people a little bit annoyed because you don't think that the 20k bonus for a banker or the 500k salary is unreasonable at all. Why so? Because? Well, I suppose you look at the responsibility of the jobs that these guys in the banks are doing. I mean, they're safeguarding billions of euro of savings, mortgages, your pensions. I mean, you do not want unqualified or wrongly experienced people looking after that sort of value of assets. And unfortunately, we're in a global economy. People are traveling very easily. And we've got the very competitive London market right beside us. So they are poaching our good people. And we need to put the money on the table to retain the people that we want to have as the the cream of the crop. Now, some people would point to the disastrous uh, decision-making uh, from bankers over the past uh, 15 years or so, and even of late where, where the trackers are concerned, um, you'd wonder about the ability of them at all. Uh, look, to be to be fair, I mean, the, the crash that we went through was a result of a global crisis, and it was just an unfortunate uh, coincidence of so many things happening that just managed to bring the whole thing down. Uh, the, uh, the old bonuses now that were thrown out there... Uh, pushed staff into sort of getting as many loans in place as possible, and that that was part of it as well, wasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Look, I mean, the, the the good example of how a bonus scheme should work is you establish KPIs and key or sorry, key performance indicators, and people need to achieve separate targets. And I think the the way the KPIs were structured at that time were maybe not the best way. Mm. But I mean, there's there's certainly a, a broad spectrum now of KPIs that uh, all employees are measured against in terms of their performance. You, your background is in finance, I think, Connor, is it? It is indeed, yeah. Yeah. So will you tell me then, I mean, 500k to me sounds like incredible salary, but by comparison to what's available in other jurisdictions, tell me about that. I mean, what are top bankers paid? Um, the financial markets in London, I mean, the Basic would probably be a million sterling starting. Plus? Plus plus bonus opportunity on top of that. And is that what we're competing against then when we're looking for people to head up our financial institutions? Exactly. I mean, look at Francesca McDonough who just got poached from Bank of Ireland across the Credit Suisse and her salary is effectively tripled. Wow. And you said if somebody offered me a 4% bonus, I'd uh, be insulted, frankly. But this is what we're talking about. They're offering a 20k bonus on a 500k salary. I mean, it's equates to four percent. 
I mean, typically what would be offered would be at least one month's salary. And in financial services or IT or engineering, it would be normally 20% annual bonus. Right. Uh, you also make the the point, and I suppose I have to go along with it, the current bankers aren't responsible for the crash back in 2008. But, I mean, as I say, it's only recently we had the scandal around the trackers where, where they had to pay huge fines. True, but, again, that's, the, that's all just come out in the wash. I mean, all those reactions and uh, restrictions were initiated a decade ago. Mm. I mean, all the, all the uproar about how badly they have treated people, all those decisions were taken back in 2009, 2010, when the big recession went through. And, I mean, what, what would be the advantage to us then? I mean, how are we talking about bank performance here if we were able to attract the right people in? Well, I suppose it's more the fact that you don't want the wrong people in the seats because then you end up with a bank in a, or a banking sector that is dysfunctional. Or we end up with them incentivized to be another Anglo-Irish bank where they want to deliver constant, constant, constant phenomenal growth. So we need people who are on the, the correct strategic objectives and who have the kind of strength and backbone to see it through. So are you, you're obviously happy then with what... I'm not sure what's happening with the 500k yet. That's, that won't happen for some time, will it? That's my understanding. Is it still stays in place um, for the, the, the majority-owned banks which are owned by the state. Right. Even though I was reading something the other day that some of the top bankers are making much more than that anyway. Um, I'm not sure how they're getting past that cap. I think there was special exemptions thought from the minister for the salaries for Francesca uh, McDonough at the time. And her, and her the, who, who followed her up there, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's somewhere up around, I mean, I think it's 900,000. It's 900k, I believe. But that's, that's because, I believe, Bank of Ireland aren't majority owned by the state. It was only a minority stake taken. Right. Um, and what do you? How do you feel about that? About the stake that the state has in this and in decision making and stuff? Do you do you think that's necessarily a good thing? I think it's right for the time. Um, the, the state was obviously the the overarching conscience of the bank at the time, and that's why they made the decision to take over Anglo Irish at the time. Mm. So without that kind of stabilising hand, I mean, the sector would have just descended into into a, the abyss. Yeah. So I think it's good that they protect people and they kept the banks alive. And what we're seeing now with KBC and Ulster Bank leaving the market, you see a lot of power being handed to the big pillar banks again, which is not a good thing in my view. Yeah, it's interesting. Have you been following the the Quinn documentary? I've just started, actually. I've about one and a half episodes through it. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it brings us back to that time of Anglo-Irish again, doesn't it? And it, the, it the, does. the greed the that went on, I mean, the... You know, the scale was incredible, wasn't it? It's frightening, actually. And what kind of struck me is just the sheer ego of Sean Quinn yeah. and his, his desire to be God Almighty. I mean, to have three billion of an exposure to a bank that you'd never really done much research on and it's just your, your gut tells you kept doubling down, double down, double down. It seems incredible. Yeah, and how, how do you feel about his demeanour? Uh, on what you've looked at so far. I mean, he feels wronged and very wronged indeed. Uh, what, what do you make of that? <laughs> I, I can understand why he would be frustrated having lost his empire. I mean, he, you could argue that, look, his 
decisions of, to get into this contract for difference mm. is what cost him his construction, quarrying, blazing, and and his roof trial empire and property empire. Um, so 80% of his decisions were 100% spot on and made him a very wealthy man. One decision to get into CFDs is what cost him everything. So I could understand why he'd be frustrated, um, but I certainly don't feel I'm much sympathy for him considering how much we, the Irish taxpayer, are paying to cover for his mistakes. And, and continuing to pay, of course. Absolutely. I think they mentioned until 2036 we'll be paying this 2% insurance levy. It's incredible, isn't it? Um, it's something we'll be discussing on our panel a little bit later on as well. You have some feelings about the landlord sector as well. Yeah, I suppose there was a lot of headlines during the week about uh, 43,000 uh, private landlords uh, leaving their... Their, the market yes. in recent years. But, but I mean, is it any wonder? I mean, we've done nothing but vilify landlords and point them out, put them up on a pedestal and say, you're the devil, devils and demons who are destroying the economy. And lo and behold, now, actually, we need them. Mm. And we've done nothing but tax them out of existence. And now the fact that property prices are so high, they actually have an opportunity to make the money, which is what they have the second property for. And now we're saying, well, they shouldn't be allowed and eviction bans and everything else. I mean, wh- what do we want as, an, as a nation? Do we want landlords or don't we? And well, I suppose the eviction bans and stuff was, you know, in very difficult situations such as COVID and uh, the like. And now with cost of living issues and that, you know, you can understand why, you know, maybe people should give agree. a bit of a break. But look at the, the amount of landlords who could give you examples of horrific experiences they've had with tenants wrecking houses, not paying rents. I mean, the landlord has no rights in any of the situation. The, the tenants have everything. Mm. And you can be years waiting to get someone out of your property and God knows what condition you get it back in. You have to pay the mortgage. You won't have got a cent of income. And you, you've got to carry all the risk. And how do we differ from other jurisdictions where, where this is concerned, do you think? I think our, the way our tax system is structured here, is is quite punitive, and I also think that the the rental um, the rights given to tenants are are overly generous. And e- even in tough times, you still believe that, do you? That absolutely. I mean, there's we get tough times and good times. I mean, the the ideal is that we you get good tenants, and there's a good working, healthy relationship between the landlord and the tenants, and everything works. Mm. But I mean. The idea is that if you have loyal tenants, that they'll see you through the bad times as well and you ride out the storm together. Yeah, of course, the banks are always whinging as well that, you know, the eviction uh, legislation and regulation is uh, hampering their businesses as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's a very long-winded process and it's it's costly to, to the landlord. I mean, it's, it's all the all the expenses on the landlord or, or the, the mortgage owner yeah, I must say, though, I've seen some photographs over the years and people's account of uh, living in the most atrocious situations as well. So there's argument on both sides, I suppose, Connor. I agree. Yeah. No, there, there are certainly some deplorable properties been offered as uh, livable, and I, cer- I certainly don't support that sort of uh, standard. But mm. if we want people to be active landlords in the sector, I mean, we have to be able to, to balance it up a bit. 
All right. Connor, always good to talk to you and thanks for your time this morning. Thank you and a happy thanks, Christmas friend. to you. Thanks, Connor. Bye bye to you now. That's uh, Connor with his views there. He thinks uh, that it's not unreasonable at all. 500k plus um, as a salary, um, up to about a million. And uh, he doesn't think a 20k bonus for a banker is unreasonable at all. How do you feel about that? 083 311 if it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie well, you're very welcome back. Andrew joins me as usual on a Friday Good morning to you, morning, Andrew. Morning, um, You're going to talk to us about uh, the late Christine McPhee, who uh, passed away at the age of 79, I think, was yeah. it? Yeah, uh, so like we normally do telly in that uh, at this time on a Friday, and uh, I was just thinking, sure, look, it's, it's hard to uh, pass up uh, talking about Christine McPhee, who sadly passed away. I think, yeah, 79 uh, mm. she was. Uh, so, like, what, what can we tell you about Christine McPhee? Uh, the driving force of uh, Fleetwood Mac's success since she, uh, she joined the band with her, her then-partner was John McPhee back in uh, the 1960s. A lot of people will know uh, the history of uh, Fleetwood Mac, but just a little bit about her. Uh, born on the 12th of July, 1943, uh, near Birmingham, grew up near Birmingham. Uh, first, Fran, uh, maybe just a brief background on Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. I mean, what yeah. what an amazing band. I, I guess you're a fan, yeah. are you? I oh, don't absolutely. I don't know how anybody couldn't be, really, yeah. to be honest with you. Uh, they formed in London in 1967. Uh, the guitarist Peter Green, drummer Mick Fleetwood, guitarist Jeremy Spencer was the guy's name, who I didn't know about, actually, until recently, uh, before the bassist, uh, bass player uh, John McVie joined. So that's uh, that was her hobby. Uh, Green and Spencer left the band in the 1970s. I wonder how they felt about that afterwards, uh, <laughs> considering the uh, success that they yeah. went on to have. 1974, Mick Fleetwood was in Los Angeles, apparently. He was introduced to the American uh, uh, duo, uh, Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks. And soon after, they both, of course, uh, joined the band to leading to the famous lineup, which we now know of Fleetwood and McVees and Nicks and Buckingham. So much stuff went on with the band. Incredible. Back. Incredible. Falling out, breaking up, getting back together. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks were together at the time. Um, after a drunken night, Mick Fleetwood ended up with Stevie Nicks, which they were found out, and that broke up the band at the time. And Buckingham, like Lindsay Buckingham, is gone from the band at the moment. Like he could be back. Uh, I don't know. He's doing his own stuff at the moment. But they've God, they've been through a lot, haven't they? Isn't it just uh, incredible as a band? And I mean, I know you'll talk about the the, the most famous album, maybe one of the most famous ones yeah. of all time. But it was recorded in the midst of all of this going on. Yeah, apparently so. Yeah, yeah, yeah apparently so. Rumours you're talking about. Yeah, yeah which, yeah, which makes yeah. it all the more remarkable. Yeah, yeah. and rumours rumor, is just one of those, um, like it's one of those famous, famous albums. I mean, uh, you could say everybody has a famous album, but not really. I mean, mm. the Beatles, you talk about the White Album, mm. uh, Joni Mitchell, you talk about Blue or Tapestry or, like Rumours is just one of those albums. Yeah. Like, yeah. isn't it? That's classic. You, you know, yeah, it's classic, it's, isn't it? Yeah. Sinatra fans will tell you songs for Swinging Lovers. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's one of those absolute classic uh, um, albums. Uh, and it, and you're right, uh, they managed to do that uh, during all the hassle that went on. Anyway, among the songs that, that she wrote for the band in, include Don't Stop, Little Lies and Songbird. And we're going to hear which of these? Oh, sorry, the very first one at the, the top there. There you go. Okay. Don't stop, 
What a song. Amazing what song, a isn't song. it? Just absolutely amazing. So she married uh, Fleetwood Max, John McPhee, which I touched on a while ago, 1968. Mm. Peter Green actually was the best man at the wedding. Uh, they divorced in 1976, uh, but they stayed in the band together. <laughs> like that, all that stuff was good. But you could talk all day about stuff that went on yeah, in the I band. Uh, I mean, I know bands are difficult when you're touring with people and you're living with them and you're seeing these people more than you see your own family and all that. But certainly out of all of them... Um, it's it's stuff of legend now of, of yeah. what, what went on and with this next point you made I didn't know about this at all Dennis Wilson that's right 1979 to 1982 she was engaged now they didn't get married to Dennis Wilson from wow. the Beach Boys yeah uh, that's that's true too uh, she married keyboard player uh, Eddie Quinlata or Quintella Quintella sorry 1986 before divorcing in 2003 and uh, like Stevie Nicks actually she didn't have any kids she once said apparently in an interview that she just had no room for children that the music was always in the way wow. so it's interesting too that wow. Both herself and Stevie Nicks never had kids. But Fran, uh, like, so, look, so much happened over the years, as I said. There was drug abuse, people leaving the band and all of that. But they just managed to put the music first. Yeah. And you'd have to think it was for fans. I mean, it was hardly for themselves. They didn't need the money or anything. And I think people were expecting new music all the time and expecting to see them. So they continued to tour, but it must have been very, very but difficult. Do, do you, you know? think that all of the drama and all of the difficulties and the trials and tribulations, did that fuel the, the creativity, you see? Well, I, I think everything fuels the yeah. creativity. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't mean to be crass-like, but I mean, would Stevie Wonder have been wonderful Stevie Wonder if he wasn't born blind? Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't mean that, you know, no, that I might know, sound like a silly saying. thing to say. Like, what actually, what drives people yeah. in this direction? It's it, They're sliding doors. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, Mick Fleetwood meeting Lindsay Buckingham and Stevie Nicks and just, isn't it castaway things like that yeah. happen? The and stars align. The stars say, align. Yeah. Uh, so look, Die Hard fans, uh, it, it was a real shock to them when she actually walked away from the band and not to return for 16 years. She was gone for 16 years. Wow. Uh, this is her on BBC Breakfast back in 2017. I left the band initially because I developed a fear of flying. There was a number of things. I was tired of living out of a suitcase. Um, my dad got sick and I was living in America so I thought, well, you know, it's time for me to move back to England. Um, and that's what I did. I, I bought a house in England and still carried on playing with Fleetwood Mac and said, this will be my last tour and I'm going to move to Kent, which is what I did and got this huge, great big manor house which was falling apart and I spent happily four years restoring it. And then, you know, four years later, I'm going, I bought a couple of dogs and um, I thought, OK, what am I going to do now? Once um, that's lifestyle is in your blood, does it ever leave? Well, no, because I, now that I've come back, it's been the most joyous thing I've ever done in my life, and I'm just embracing every moment. I love it. It's incredible. Isn't mm. it? yeah. Fear of flying. Mm. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Uh, like, I have some regrets. I, I bet you probably have, have two, or maybe not. Um, you know, I know what a huge John Prine fan you are, mm. and, and, and you've met John Prine, probably call yourself a friend, that you've met him so many times and everything, and you've seen him play, and I know you're a huge fan. But, like, there's a lot of artists down through the years that I'm sorry I didn't see. And I know they were here, like, a few times as a, yeah. full, as a full lineup with Lindsay Buckingham, uh, with uh, Christine, with, with, with all of them. And I'm so sorry that I didn't go and see him, because mm. even to see them now... You're not going to get Lindsay Buckingham here. Yes. Do you know? Do you know that? Yeah, kind of, I know. There's a few people like um, the great Dan Fodelberg, who you'll hear in radio oh, stations. Yeah. Um, I'm, and he was here a few times. <clears throat> Clifford T. Ward, I never got yeah. to see. Um, I, there is so many. Like, and, and as big a Steely Dan fan as as I am, 
uh, the last time I saw Steely Dan, I think you saw him too, mm. around the same time, um, Walter Becker had died. Yeah. So I never mm-hmm. saw Steely Dan when Walter Becker was part of uh, So what, what's the, the message from that? The message is, man, I'm so yeah. lazy. Like, yeah. I, somebody's coming to play. Yeah. And, like, and Elena said to me, you know, so-and-so is playing or James Taylor is playing. I've seen James Taylor a good few times. I like him, obviously. Mm. Um, will we go... And it's just there's something about if you're not living in Dublin. I know. Yeah. I mean, I could do another show on this completely, and the cost of it, and getting the day off, and you need to next, you have to stay there, and the hotel, driving up there, getting parked, yeah, and doing all that kind of stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? And I, 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 I'm the same with Bob Dylan. I mean, I'm yeah. such a huge fan. I'd love to have seen him live, but you yeah, say, I've, you know, I've seen him motivating seen him. ourselves. I've to seen, go I've seen him three times actually. Yeah. And the last time I saw him, he stood with his back to the crowd with a hoodie on him. So <laughs> there's a bit of the old Van Morrison in him. You know Absolutely. what I mean? You don't know what Bob Dylan's going to turn up. Um, okay, sorry. I didn't mean to, to get away from what we're chatting about no there bother, but, yeah. but uh, also she appeared on BBC Radio some years ago on that fantastic show that I know you'll be familiar with called yeah. uh, Tracks of My Years if people haven't heard Tracks of My Years it's just a, I don't mean to be taking people away from Tip FM to the BBC but it's like uh, Desert Island Discs yeah. and there's a clip for here Well Billie Holiday I love everything she's ever done and I listen to it not particularly recently but I used to listen to her incessantly and so I just kind of basically uh, shut my eyes and pointed the finger at the album and just whatever was there is what I picked and um, what can you say about Billie Holiday she had everything there's a, a terrible kind of sadness behind the voice isn't terrible there? sadness terrible sadness but but also just beauty as well she, I find it plaintive but not depressing I find it uh, pleasing relaxing might as well give up the fire I, I could have cut that song because oh, wow. she was, but I just didn't have the heart to cut it. Gorgeous. Well, uh, at least we got to introduce Emma to Billy Holiday yesterday. <laughs> Don't start. <laughs> <laughs> She'll kill us. She'll kill us. Uh, it's gas, actually. That program is, uh, I don't know if it's on the BBC player, but I, I found that on YouTube. And yeah. uh, she uh, speaks about Steely Dan, um, Babylon Sisters, or Hey 19 is her favourite song. Speaks about David Bowie, uh, speaks about James Taylor, Billy Holiday. Who else did she mention? But it's very, it's very interesting to see. So these were all the, the influences. Kind of, yeah, yeah, this is the kind of kind of stuff that uh, that she was into. So yeah. we're um, um, favorite songs and impact on our life, and that is we, we just played. As I said, she spoke about Steely Dan and David Bowie. Oh, Prince was the other one. I had it written down. Actually, right. she spoke about Prince uh, and what a huge fan she was of Prince as well. So we started um, uh, mentioning uh, some of the Fleetwood Mac classics that. Uh, that she wrote. Um, of course, the big one is from Tango and a Night that she wrote in 1986, um, which is uh, which is this. Do you want to give that a quick play? We'll sure, play that one in full, actually. Yeah, let's. Okay, everybody will know this anyway. <laughs> the the late Christine McVie. So the two of us, the two of us thought we were at the same concert. Actually, we were talking about Steely Dan. Maybe we were at different <laughs> Steely Dan concerts, were we? Maybe we were. Did you say Stevie Winwood was playing yeah, um, support? Yeah. Well, the one I was at, the Doobie Brothers were playing support because I know I was disgusted. Could be a different year. Could have been a different year. Could have been a different year. Could have been a different year. You never know. Uh, what about a bucket list in terms of? Uh, okay, I have a problem with my bucket list. Who, yeah, there. Why? Because most of them are dead. Um, I'm the sorry. People you want to see are dead. There's, there's no other way of saying it to you. Yeah. Um, 
I, I, I never saw David Bowie. Yeah. I never saw Prince. Um, I mentioned Clifford T. Ward. Uh, I saw John Martin quite a few times before he died, which I was happy. Oh, about. I'd love to have seen yeah, John Martin. Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, up close and personal in, in Wexford, actually, in the Riverbank Hotel, um, where he was playing a couple of times. I've seen, solo, him, in, seen him in a few times. He was solo, was um, it? No, he had a small band with him, although oh, it was right. an acoustic set, I think, that he was doing. And uh, he wasn't well at the time. He'd lost his leg at the time, and he was sit, sat down through it. But still, just like for, for me, John Martin was just just oh, incredible. Just, what a song! Right um, uh, I mentioned Dan Vodelberg, who I would have loved to have seen. Um, I don't know. I, I, who who else can I think? As mm. I said to you, it's depressing. But most mm. most of them have passed on. And this, and I hate myself for saying this because I know the way it sounds. I realise after they've died mm. that I've I should know, have seen yeah. them. Yeah, no. Like I, I, after David Bowie died, I was disgusted that yeah. I hadn't seen David Bowie because that's it; it's gone, yeah. it's gone, it's gone, it's gone forever, you know. Yeah, but which incarnation of Bowie would you would you like to have seen? Ziggy, I would like to see Ziggy. Yeah. I think I would like to see Ziggy. Ah, you're um, too young to have seen Ziggy. For yeah, God's sake, I know. Aren't you? Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, what about yourself? Have you anybody in mind? Do you know what? I would like to see Dylan, but would I would I stand out in the field to see anybody at the moment? No, I don't think so. Is that's that's what I hate. See, is the problem with Dylan is stuff, uh, yeah. we've talked about this before. Dylan is like Van Morrison. Is that Dylan that's going to turn up, and and Dylan won't just come and do like Dylan doesn't care anymore. Not at all. Do you Not know what all. I mean? And he, he do sort of strange versions of the songs and. Yeah, any, any, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a few, there's a few bands that are, whether they're still doing it or not. I, I mean, I don't know. There's a few now that just came to mind. Like I'd love to see Supertramp. I'd like to mm. see ELO. Yeah. Um, God, I'm showing my age now. Um, some of those classic bands, and I'd like to bring some of my lads to it because I kind of forced this music on my lads at home. Um, I, uh, coming home from school the last two days, I have uh, the Cure on in the car, yeah. and I was never the biggest Cure fan, but I'm kind of returning to some of that Are stuff. You, yeah. from the, I am, and I'm kind of forcing it on lads, and and they like a lot of it. So, you know, I would bring them to some of those. Uh, yeah. Oh. Before you go, Bruce Springsteen. I've never Springsteen. seen Bruce Springsteen. No, nor, nor me. Yeah. I, I'll bet you would have loved to have seen Prefab Sprout. Oh, would have Paddy loved McAloon. to. Paddy McAloon. Yeah, sure. That's, yeah, that's yeah. not going to happen again. Anyway, yeah. Fran, thanks for Anyway, thanks very much indeed for that, uh, Andrew. We'll look at uh, the life of times of the late Christine McVie, who passed away in the last uh, few days at the age of 79. News and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie now, Friday panel, delighted to be joined by Alison Devere Hunt of Cashel Mart. Dr. Rachel Woodlock is with us, visiting lecturer at UCC, and Joe Leahy, founder of Seesaw and Clonmel Security Consultant as well. And you're all very welcome, and thank you for coming in to us today. Um, I'm going to start with the whole Quinn uh, documentary. Uh, Once Ireland's richest man, Sean Quinn, long journey to amass his wealth from leaving school at 15, working on the family farm, spreading his business empire into many sectors, and then, of course, a downfall. Three-part uh, RTE uh, documentary. Can I start with you on, on, on this, Alison, because you're kind of blaming me that you had to watch RTE <laughs> where, where this was concerned when you did finally watch it. What, what did you make of it? Do you know what? It was a, a strange one to watch. Um, it was quite um, sensationalised. And, you know, he was there in his big mansion. And I do think greed was his downfall. In some ways, and I'm probably going against most of the listeners here, I kind of felt sorry for him. I thought the narrative was pushed slightly sideways because at the end of the day, 
the deals he made weren't with the Irish public. They were with Anglo. And it was the government who decided to make that our debt. It wasn't, you know, him. And I kind of felt that, you know, when you have the likes of David Dromo, I picked a figure out of my arse, you know, so uncouth. You know, none of them have paid anything. And I, you know, I... A lot of people were very angry at Quinn there still in his mansion and that. He did an awful lot of good up around that area mm. as well. And like without going into the Kevin Lunny thing, because that's something there's I still wouldn't have a definitive on. Yeah. I, you yeah. know, I just found that with the whole Kevin Lunny thing, it, that's nearly like a different. It's um, a whole different story. Really, exactly. In, in exactly. Message, yeah. That I just kind of thought, you know, he's been scapegoated. Like, he was a serious, successful businessman. Mm. And to look at his children now with debts of 88 million mm. each, he took stupid gambles, but they were with the bank. It was the government that decided that we were all going to pay for it. And this 2% levy mm. that we're paying. And will be paying. And will yeah. be paying. But that's also PMPA. Yes. It's also Satanta. It's also AIB yeah. insurance. It's all grouped in together. Um, but the way it was portrayed was that he was the devil incarnate mm. um, and that he did all this. Now, look, I thought that it was, uh, you know, the crying at the end and that I kind of was like, oh, here we go. But Alan Dukes, mm. you know, on his high horse there speaking about people on at the, at the border count of the border counties and how, you know, say crime is basically in their blood. Yes, violence is in their blood, yeah. And it was an incredible statement, wasn't it? It was, but an incredible statement from an ignorant man. Mm. Like, look, he was, say, on the board of IBRC, NAMA, you know, they looked after their bodies. Dennis O'Brien had an easy walk, you mm. know, through. Mm. So the thing is, certain people were ostracised and made examples of and other people were, you know, pat on the back. Look at the dentist during the week. Was it 170 million of a write-off? Written off, yeah. So it depends. It seems like, you know, they can pick and choose and Alan Dukes was at the coalface of that. Mm. You know, and if you look at all the families that, say, could have benefited from buying houses that were all sold to venture funds when he was involved with NAMA. Mm. You know, they go on about profits NAMA made. Overall, they made massive losses, really, when you look at the assets that were there and they sold so much at the wrong time. Like, to be honest, Alan Dukes should be taking a serious look at himself up there on his, you know, mm. say, ivory tower. But overall, what what do you think? Because, uh, as you know, Sean Quinn has taken his endorsement away from it. Uh, he did cooperate with it, but the final edit, he didn't endorse it, so... Look, I thought there was a huge amount of journalists, that, you know, like, to be honest... Quinn, the ego was quite evident Mm, mm. and the greed. I think maybe, you know, I suppose he had his own side plan Mm. that the lads that were basically his kind of, um, you know, say students Mm. took Mm. over, but he was supposed to be really still in charge. And, you know, that wasn't the case when it was hard to know whether that it looked to me like that agreement was in place and mm. the boys were like well we'll support you and we'll do this which is the wrong thing yes. but it still looked to me like that was the agreement but then once they were in of their course. positions he, of he power felt, he, he was felt really betrayed by completely. that completely uh, joe what did you make of it all I didn't see any of it, Fran. Did you not? You're going to watch RTE, okay. you see. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> not good money was, for the license. I hope you're paying your license. <laughs> yeah, well. I was watching Tip FM. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I didn't see any of it at all. But um, I suppose if you look at it, like, you know, you, you obviously you hear about it, you read about mm. it, you see it, mm. you know, and you're looking at all this thing. And uh, I suppose 
it, it you know the old story is I suppose like you know here are these old cliches money makes money and all this mm. kind of carry on I think myself when you get into those kind of leagues you you get into a different wavelength altogether you're mm. on a different mm. uh, um uh, landscape. You're mm. deal, You're rubbing shoulders with different people, but at the end of the day, it just shows goes to prove, like you know, that you don't beat the system. Mm. When the system wants to get you, the system will get you. If they no, can't get no you, no matter who you are, no matter who you are, yeah. no matter what you are, yeah. and you're only just a number, yes. and they don't give a tuppenny toss about you, and they'll get you, and that's the end of it. Um, I would say, and I'm not condoning for a second like what Alan Jukes did say, but I would say one thing, like, if I was up around there, like, for a while, you know what I mean? And when you're up around there for a while, like, you do see there's a there's an awful lot goes on up there that doesn't go on anywhere else in the country. Well, smuggling was the big thing. Smuggling, it, yeah. uh, you know, you have this, a lot of laundering goes on, diesel laundering and all that kind of thing. It, it only goes on up there. Yeah. You know, when you see you turn back like to the GA and you have the, some of the counties up there, mm. they certainly play a different type of GA than everyone else and the other counties play. And when you see the sledging that goes on, and that does go on, on it goes, like, so that, no point we denying all this, it happens. Mm. But I think, though, when you look at, like, from a, a, an individual like Sean Quinn that came from nothing, you know, it really is a story. You came from nothing. You went through billions and you end up with nothing at mm. the end of it all, you know. It just goes to show how life goes on. Um, like anybody else, I think he's a hero in his own local area. Mm. The mm. amount of lives, I suppose, that he saved from being, uh, having to go abroad you, from you, work you and all that. You know that area. That yeah. was a black spot. You oh, know? absolutely. Well, I remember doing gigs up that way. Oh. I mean, it really was. Oh, my know? God, it's a black spot, yeah. An yeah. absolute black spot. Uh, but when you see all the work, like, he was the real saviour of the yeah. whole area. Yeah. Like, he kept families together. He kept communities together mm. because he gave the employment. They didn't have to go abroad. They were able to rear kids. Yeah. They were able to, hence, they were able to field teams. They were able to keep schools open, shops open. If you look at all that knock-on, mm. But then again, when you get too deep, then in with the other, with the with the with the wrong crowd, and I mean the wrong crowd, as in, you can get into the wrong crowd that do figures, figures mm. better than you do figures, mm. you know. And all of a sudden, you're borrowing, you're going in yeah. over the top. He, he was out of his gone. league, though. Out wasn't, of his league. What it was. Out of his yeah. league. Yeah. And he started off, I suppose, as a worker, mm. as a natural worker, worked twenty four seven. But then you, you can't do everything. Mm. And I think when it came to the figures and all that kind of thing, he got in too deep, he got out of his league. But as well as that, you must remember too, and I have a lot of others did too, nobody saw this crash coming. Mm. Like, it was very, very wise people that saw the crash coming. Nobody saw it coming. And all of a sudden, the rug was pulled from under everybody in the mm. one goal. Mm. And it didn't matter who you were or what you were, except you were at the sacred few around the one table. And if you were, then you were saved. If you weren't, you mm. were thrown to the wolves. And that's what happened. But even where the insurance aspect of his business was concerned, he didn't seem to understand the business. But did you see where he came from, Frank? Yeah, yeah, I know. Like, he couldn't understand it. Like, like it takes... I think, you know, you stick to your own. You stick to whatever you're yes. at. Yeah. You know, whatever you're at in life, you stick to it. You can't understand everything. Like Yeah. Nobody can. You know, like it's you. You need to stick what you're at. He was at what he was at. He was at, and next day, all of a sudden, because he had so much money, he was enticed into doing other things like insurance. Mm. Sure, he knew nothing about insurance. What did that could he learn about insurance? insurance thing was it, like when you think back. I remember, say, when I was when Quinn Insurance came out, I was probably maybe sixteen, seventeen. And they were the only ones that would insure young people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were able to, say, bring in a lower-priced insurance mm. and still be able to pay claims mm. and still yeah. be able to make profits. I would say, technically, he was probably 
you know, his his abilities were maybe poor, but practically, I'd mm. say he was. Oh yeah, well excellent. he was he was the Ryanair kind of a job of that insurance he was. Yeah. Mm. And the other thing that he did, I would have seen him like insurance. They had a different model, like like they met people early. You know, if you have an accident or whatever, else, they met him early, they met him quick, and they settled the claim quick. Mm. It was settled quickly. It was done quickly. So they stopped all this, you know, ri- rigmarole of add-ons, 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 and expenses. Thing that mm. lasts for ten years mm. and could be settled in ten months. He brought in all those new kind of ideas into it. But at the same time, you must remember where he came from. Mm. He came from a very sort of, he had no knowledge in any of that insurance mm. industry. Sure, he's mm. gone out of school at 15. Wasn't like he? so, he was, you know, yeah. and I'm not blaming that. I'm yeah, just saying course, yeah. his natural way of life was working hard, yes. doing things. But then when this other thing came, he was totally out of his depth. Article. I, I, I'm looking forward to your view on this, Rachel, because you probably wouldn't have come across this in the early stages of it, or no, would you? No, I wasn't yeah. here. But we yeah. had our own. We had our Christopher Scases in Australia where they, well, in Christopher Scases' um, uh, uh, example, he actually fled to Spain and could never got extradited to actually face the charges because he went bankrupt and lost millions and for Australians. And was to. he similar in that, a self-made man? And Yeah, I don't know if Christopher Scases was self-made or yeah. I don't think he came from from money um, but again a similar thing where the greed just got to him and mm. the you know the opportunities that were put before him he just got bigger and bigger it's almost like there's ne- you never quite get enough it's never enough yes um, and that's just I think it seems to be the way the world works with the the one percenters that there's never enough and I think um, the problem is is that it's a little bit of a toy coin toss do they end up as a as an Elon Musk mm. <laughs> or do they end up as a as a Quinn or a Christopher Scase and um, while the rest of us kind of just uh, we're you know can't fathom the amount of money that is involved yes. but a lot of that is also you know like they say for example with the rich list they'll say so and so has a net worth of I don't know 50 million but it's not like they have 50 million euros right there in their hands or in their wallet you know it's, it's on paper properties, yeah. it's on paper it's yeah. all digital it's you know tied up with loans from they you know they go and borrow money mm. to go and invest money and it's all a, a strange game of numbers that aren't it isn't real but I would I would say as well though sorry Fran I would say as well though that a lot of people kind of get sucked into this I'm not sure so much do they set out to be greedy and set out to watch, want everything like and I'm not contradicting you I just think I don't think that they set out like to own the world I think when you go from one place to another place different things happen yes you know it's a bit like yourself you know when you start out say playing a bit of music you know all of a sudden you're you're you know more people you're brought on in this direction you and network and you network and yeah you you meet somebody that you never thought you'd ever meet and your an idea is floated and, and you walk into that it's fair to say that people throw stuff your way, then, yeah. mm. you know, in terms of they getting you to invest. And and, like, yeah. the thing is, his businesses were all very successful. Yes. It was the getting into the Anglo, mm. you know, mm. say, was his downfall. Mm. Like, you know, when I remember back in the boom, hearing about him playing a game of cards one night a week with some neighbours and mm. that, and the highest stake you could bet was 50 cent, and the most you could win was five euro. And at the time, I thought... God, this is really refreshing because everyone's talking in millions and driving fast cars and like he was the ordinary man's hero and he you know like people couldn't believe how you know he say was a farmer's son I think you know from up in you know such a black hole as he said of a place yeah his father couldn't read or write for example okay I didn't know that but like how they could he could become this major multi-billionaire and if he hadn't touched Anglo, mm. he'd have probably been fine. 
Now, I, I could yeah. be wrong, mm. you know, but look, th- to be honest, we could say that for a lot of people and a lot of different things. Of course, but, yeah. but I would also think as well as, uh, you know, as Frank has, uh, as Fran has alluded to there, you see, it's who you meet, you know, you get, I'll introduce you to somebody. Yeah, of course, yeah. And all of a sudden, there's some wise person out there say, this fellow's a few quid now, maybe I'll get him now to back me. And next thing, before you realise it, and that's yes. probably how they ended up in Kiev and that buying the shopping centre and all that kind of, you of know, like yeah. much wants more too. And that's yeah. part of the problem. And as well as that, you know, do you come to a thing that you're able to, that you realise that I don't need to say no? Yes. Like yeah. as, as Rachel has said, you have all this equity here. Mm. You might have a shilling in your pocket, but you have all this equity and you feel, I can manage this, I can manage this, not realising that. Mm. You have to have wisdom, though. That's the thing. I think that's ultimately the ability to say no and the ability to say, this is not my ballywhack, this is not something that I've got, you know, Mm. an ability to do. But do you get caught up in your own self belief and in your own sort of invincibility? And you tend to be surrounded, I think, also too, by surrounded by yes people. Absolutely. And and we see that time and time again where people, they're they're never told no and they're never told no, this isn't a good idea. Um, And the next thing you know, they've ended up into all sorts of problems because, you know, they're surrounded by yes men. It's interesting. Is it possible for all of this to happen again, Alison? Can can this always happen? Well, if, I suppose if you look back to just before the crash, Jonathan Sugarman is a perfect example. Like, he worked for Citibank and he, you know, made serious complaints to the regulator mm. and they were ignored. Mm. So the thing is, of course, if, if and we don't know whose pockets, you know, mm. were, say, filled with mm. brown envelopes or whatever the case may be. So, like, in they've put things in place for mm. sure. But things that will, say be a problem for the ordinary person. Mm. The big guy will always get away with it. There's always Mm. ways and means and it doesn't matter what they put in place. This could easily happen again. Yeah, do you think so as well Joe? I mean, is there always room for this to happen when when you mix greed and ambition and all of that? I think it's a bit more difficult to get money now. Possibly. You know, Mm. uh, I think possibly because they're afraid of their life to give it out to you mm. more so than you're entitled to get it maybe but I think though you know to get uh, you know now on, if you're in the bigger league if you're up there with the big it's probably a hell of a lot easier you mm. know what I mean mm. you know when you're turning around and you see builders like and they build and just say the likes of without going down the road for it now mm. say the National Children's Hospital yeah, and all of a sudden yeah. you know oh by the way the cost has gone up 1.7 million you know, and that's before we get to the real cost of it you know and all of a sudden someone has to bankroll all that like right yeah. so they can't pull the plug so yes there's money available but what league are you at like I think the people that are on a, a, I think we're after losing a couple of layers of money being made available to some of the smaller people going up along, I don't think that they can get that, their hands on m- multi-millions. Of course, I yeah. could be totally wrong, but that's, my, moment, op- yeah. that's yeah. my opinion. Yeah, and not at the moment. Timing. Alison the moment. mentioned yeah. the, the dentist. I'm not sure if you read that story. I mean, £177 million he had written off in Unbelievable, debt. Unbelievable, yeah. It's just... You like, know, it's crazy. And then you have the, the ordinary person who, you know, just, you know, can't get a loan to buy, a, you know, a mortgage to get a house. Yeah. And all they want to do is yeah. get a, you know, two-bedroom and, and bring their kids up in a school know, and yeah. that's it. And they can't get the, you know... Yeah. And people that pennies. lost their homes over yeah. the tracker tobacco. Absolutely, you know, yeah. like, yeah. say, and... There, no one's going to fix it for them. You know, they might get a bit of compensation mm. now, but their homes are gone. Mm. You know, they've yeah. lost years but, of but family life. But there's also another flip side to this, is that if people don't start lending again, what are we, like if everything is going to be too careful, what are we going to be at? Well, you know, be stagnant. Are we going to be stagnant? Yeah. So yeah. what do we do? Just to avoid you know. the extremes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> nice middle way would be good. It would, you see, but... 
But you need a certain type of character that has the belief, their own self-belief as well, to have the cut and have a go. Because if you don't have that, we'll be all too civil service No, this is... My my husband loves this. The guy who writes Dilbert, the the character... Yes. Okay, so he wrote this fantastic book and he says, you don't want the visionary. You want... Because they're the ones who'll take risks that will absolutely end you up up, you know, tits up in the ass. You know, like what you want is the person who is basically not very passionate but really good with numbers and can say yes, no, yes, no. That's what you want. You don't want the visionary and the passionate but, person. But that's why an accountant is never heading up any of these things. <laughs> you know, because they're cold and they're cynical that's and right, they have about yeah. as much vision now. As, you know, yeah, I've insulted all my friendly accountants out there now. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Well, we fixed all the world's problems uh, there during the break. I'm happy to announce uh, with me as our panel, Joe Leahy is with us, uh, Dr. Rachel Woodlock and Alison Devere Hunt as well. Now we move on to a topic that I know you will want to embrace uh, because the Minister for Finance, Pascal Donoghue, um, got approval from the Cabinet to allow bailed-out banks to pay bonuses of up to 20000 and putting lenders on a path to free themselves from the executive pay uh, restriction and lifting uh, eventually the €500 Euro salary cap as well, even though for a lot that's that's kind of gone anyway. Um, Rachel, do you, do, do you want to take that? Oh, um, gosh. Well, look, on the one hand, I, I understand the argument that they need to be competitive to those banks that are... Uh, to get the talent. To get the talent. Mm. But the, the difficulty I have is that, I mean, the the talent, are the talent really operating that well? I mean, honestly, I think the whole system, the whole finance banking system where you have these exorbitant amounts of, of um, pay and bonuses for these people who then go and do, you know, dreadful decisions like that caused the financial crash in the first place. So what talent are we attracting? The problem is, is that the whole system is corrupt. The whole, when I say corrupt, I think the whole system is... It rewards a particular type of mindset and a particular type of personality. Um, so the problem is if you're if you're hindering or blinkering um, one subsection of a whole system that's bad, then you're just making it worse for them. So I can understand the argument for lifting the cap. I can certainly understand that argument. I just think the whole sector needs reforming. But then it's a global problem. Mm. You know, it's attracting talent in an international market, and we don't have the ability to control the type of pay and remuneration and bonuses that goes off over in Europe, uh, in you know, in Germany or in America or in you know, the, wherever, UK. So we're basically, if we don't do that, then we're hobbling the whole Irish banking system. But I just think it's a crock. Mm. Yeah, Joe, what are your thoughts uh, on this? Oh, hand on heart, friend. I think it's an absolute disgrace. I was listening you? to you. Oh, yeah, I mm. do. I really do. And as Rachel has said, I can understand in a sense why it is, the, why it is in place. That's not saying I'm accepting it. Mm. I heard your previous uh, contributor on there this morning. Connor. In, uh, uh, yeah. Connor, yeah. Mm. And I can see, I can hear what he's saying. I can understand what he's saying. But I couldn't accept that at all. But it seems to be, though, that the bonus culture is very alive and well mm. in all that banking, mm. insurance, all that end of it. It's all alive and well. Like, I honestly think, you know, you go out there, you get your wages, you do, you know, you do your job, you get paid. That's what you do. Like, why do you want a bonus for doing your job like why mm. you know why do you want a bonus for making a good decision well That's it, your bloody it's that for, incentive like. that got us into so much trouble because well, they literally threw away money to people so that they could absolutely of, you know. and there's bound to and uh, like if you're given bonuses out like that sooner or later you're definitely going to get a con person 
Mm-hmm. Con man, a con person that's going to come in here and take the opportunity yes. and do it all over again. Well, that's, that's bound exactly to happen. What happened. That's, well, well, that's what kicked off the financial crisis yeah. with mm. the mortgages in America because mm. they were getting so many bonuses for giving out um, mortgages yeah. to yeah. people, and so they ended up giving out mortgages left, right, and centre to people who could never, never pay them back. But, but, back. but, but it's, it's very, sorry, Rachel, it's very, very simple mathematics. Like, you know, if I'm getting a bonus for doing 20 mortgages a week, mm. like, I'm hardly going to just do 10. Mm. Exactly. Right. Like that's, it's, it's, it's yeah, not yeah. rocket science. So, so what are you stuff. saying? You'll cut corners then? And I think you'll, you'll cut corners and you'll yeah. you'll dot the I's and cross the T's naturally to get your bonus because that's what yeah. you're going to get. Why wouldn't you? It's just common sense. like. But, mm. but I don't think bonuses should be allowed at all. I think you get your wages, you're getting, those people are getting damn right, good but wages. Connor's argument was that's all grand and very well, but then you won't get the best people. But then you see, Fran, what we're going to end up with here like, is, is we're going to end up like a climb to the top is going to be a race to the bottom mm. because at the end of the day who what are we going we're who are we attracting what are we going up we're going up and going up and more and more and more mm. so what are we doing it's costing an arm and a leg for what yes. i don't think we i don't think we should do that i think we should stay static but i think we should do totally do away with bonuses all right Alison. Well, you know, they in the banking sector, they've often said, you know, you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. We've paid exorbitant salaries and still got oh, monkeys, you. <laughs> you know, and it, like it's been ridiculous. Mm. And like the whole subprime lending that you were speaking mm. about there, it was all about, it was a numbers game. Of course it was. Yeah. And, you know, people that in a month of Sundays could never pay back, you know, say, and to be honest, I think, you know, Mial Martin said the other day in relation to this bonus payment, think of the lower paid workers in the bank. But sure, the banker let, have let off more people in the last couple of years that the ordinary person mm. isn't going to be and they won't be getting remembered the 20K. anyway. They won't no, be getting the 20k bonus. Yeah. They won't be getting probably 200 yeah. euro. Like, so that's a, an invalid argument, mm. I would say. And I definitely think, you know, look at the tracker mortgage debacle. Mm. There's, you know, we're not getting quality no. from what we can see. So why did Pascal Donoghue then, because he's getting a lot of flack for this, why was he so damned about making sure that this happened before he stood down as finance minister? Because I suppose, look at what came before him. You know, they're all, get, they get a lot of the TDs have moved into banking. You know, it's, it's a cosy cartel. And I think that's part of it. You know, he doesn't care about the ordinary person. None of them do. And they're looking after their mates and, you know, they're scratching each other's backs. Well, I'm sure well, he would disagree. Yeah, now of course he'd disagree. That, yeah. But, like, I can't, I'm, his name is um, escaping me at the moment. The Good. <laughs> <laughs> But the, I mean, like the thing is, is that you don't want to have you don't want to have a two tier system where you put more advantage into those banks that aren't the bailout banks. You don't mm. want to give them an unfair advantage and say, look, they can hire and pay for whatever talent that they like, um, and have our you know, like I think it's permanent TSB and and um, I don't mm. actually I think Bank of Ireland's no longer. Yeah, um, you see, that was yeah. the, the issue with Bank of Ireland is there's such a limited um, ownership by ownership. the no, state that yeah. they've yeah. been yeah. kind of there's some you know, yeah. allowance. But, but we've so few banks in Ireland anyway. No, I know. You know? But, I th- but I think on top of that, if you look at all these, like if you look at <coughs> any other, any other like, um, you know, line of work, 
like you know let it be go to the medical profession mm. you know what I mean because I go to the oncologist does that mean that if this oncologist happens to save 20 lives that he gets an extra bonus not at all he does not he gets his wages he gets his pay and that's it the same thing with teachers or anybody else or lecturers or whatever they do ABC they do that that's their job that's so are you uh, saying why are bankers different why are bankers different and mm. why uh, one of the reasons I think they're different because you know I suppose a lot of life is about money, really and truly. You know what I mean? What can I get it? Can I? Sure. We're, we're always looking for money for some angle. If it isn't to buy the house, it's to change the car, it's to that to something else. You know, let it be from whatever source we want it from, or we can get it from, we'll take it. But the reality is, they're all on bonus. And money. This, to me, is absolutely ridiculous. And I don't think we're learning anything at all from the past. I think what what annoys me more so than anything else, I think, is, is the notion of having it. Mm. It's bad enough to do it, but to be even thinking of doing it is worse. Well, and as customers of the banks, as we all are, the service has disimproved massively. You know, like you can't meet people. You you know, it's it's become so ridiculously bad that there shouldn't be rewards for it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And when you see the number of like they're being closed down like around the country, you know what I mean? Here, then, everywhere, they're talking about ATM machines, they're talking about all these things, and they encourage you to go back into your credit union. The one thing I feel very sorry for, like, in, in is... Uh, confidentiality. Mm. You go into the bank, there's no confidentiality. Mm. The teller behind the counter, if you're so withdrawn, three grand. Mm. They count out this three grand. Whoever is in the queue behind you can hear every word of it yeah. and hear yeah. the whole lot of it. Fine, if you if you have it to draw it out, fair enough. But e- even so, if you're there, the whole, the whole, the, the, the personality has gone out of everything. The confidentiality has gone out of everything. You can be followed out. You you can't be inside like having a private discussion, which you should be able to have. And I think and that's all. You, you said what the difference too with, say, for example, the, the surgeons or the teachers is people go into those professions with a vocation in a way. You yes. know, they want to, particularly things like teaching and medicine and so on, they want to make, you know, a difference in people's mm-hmm. lives. They want to improve the quality of whether it's, you know, the kids' lives or the patients' lives. Nobody goes into banking with a vocation to improve society. No. You know what I mean? They well, go in there to, to make money. To, to improve their, their own bank balance, <laughs> exactly. I would say. Yes. Seems yeah. Yeah. Is there a danger, just before we leave it, is there a danger, though, that we will end up in a similar situation all over again? Is that is that a, because you put these bonuses in in place, as Joe said, human nature being what it is, will they play to that, and will there be unscrupulous people involved again? Do you think? I think there's going to be unscrupulous people involved, regardless, because in the, <clears throat> with the last crash, there was no one held accountable. Mm. Like when you look at Shawnee Fitzpatrick, mm. you know he came to trial nothing happened because the state shredded very important documents. You know, we've never had anyone really, Mm. you know, hauled over the coals here. And you've had a few in the States that kind of just make it look like, yeah, Yeah. you know, say we're much more law-abiding here, we don't stand for white-collar crime. But, you know, if there's never going to be any discipline for it, why bother, say, stopping, you know, you you carry on regardless? Would we pay a price for this, do you think? Oh, I think think we will. And I also think as well, Fran, is, you know, if we're trying to attract the top people, fine, give it to them in the form of an extra wage or a wage, but don't take out the word bonus. Bonus out of it, Take out this, and take out the idea of a bonus. Like, a bonus is because you do something extra, whatever, that's what the idea of a bonus should be, really. A, A bonus shouldn't be to attract 
extra more people like it shouldn't mm. be done that way all right uh, could we pay a price all over again for this do you think oh well, yes absolutely yeah. so, i mean the, the the costs are always eventually borne by the average joe blow um, mm. I, I just think the whole system really needs a reformation. And that's globally you're talking yeah, absolutely. about. Absolutely. It? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not an Irish yeah. problem by any stretch of the imagination. Look at America. That's way worse than All it right. is here. Okay, let me take a break. We'll be right back. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. One of our comedic listeners believes that we should have Sean Quinn's opinion as to whether or not bankers get bonuses. So <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what he would think of that. Um, can we go to the other big story of uh, the week? A horrific story indeed. A man charged at this uh, moment in time with uh, threats to kill or cause serious harm to two people in the aftermath of that incident in County Wexford where a nine-year-old boy was so badly injured after he was attacked by a pit bull terrier. I'm not sure if you saw the pictures, mm. but I mean, unimaginable what, what happened to, to the child. Um, Joe, can I start with you on this? How, how do you feel about this and what needs to be done. I mean, already Michal Martin stood up in the dawn after, and oh, we, we need to look at this again. But I mean, this is ongoing. We heard from a mother of a, a young woman who this happened to in Tipperary. You know, I mean, it's... But, we're, but um, you know, it's, a lot of that, Fran, is, you know, they can talk the talk, but they can't walk the walk. Mm. Like, honest to good God, like, what needs to be done is a simple thing, like, and it's simple. Implementation. Like, there are people there with dogs that shouldn't have dogs at all, and that needs to be implemented. There are people in apartments, flats, shouldn't have dogs. There just happened to be in such a space in their life, they shouldn't have a dog. There are dogs in certain places, which I can't mention, because I'd be closed down if I did mention them. And there's no laws, there's no one checking them, there's no one going next or near them, there's crossbreeds and more breeds, and they're going around, that thing should all be banned. You should have hair licence, but it should be enforced. And there should be an enforcement there in such a way that if you see a person that hasn't a dog on, in the right conditions, for the right reason, then that dog should be taken away. Are you telling me like that this big uh, kind of pit bull is for a pet? Therefore, they're, they're seen as a sort of an enforcement emblem. Yes, a macho A macho thing, stuff yeah. going yeah. around. And the guy, like, is dressed on the, what day is today, the 3rd of December, like, in the string vest to go with this, like, you know what I mean? To go with this. Uh, that's what you see around the place. They have no business to that stuff at all, and they shouldn't be allowed to have them, and there should be a law brought in to ensure that they don't have them right. end of. But who would police that, Joe? I mean, but but, but what But what is the cost of not doing it, Fran? Yeah, I know. You know, well, we, and we've seen. As you've often said yourself, I'll be the devil's advocate. What do we do? <laughs> What do we do if we yes. don't do it? We see the consequences. Like, it's only... Like, that child and their family are... That's their life. They have a burden now for the rest of their life. Mm. Hopefully things will improve, blah, blah, blah. But that child is destroyed, as is their family now. Mm. Don't get me wrong, it's their family. Mm. So and what's, the, what's the consequences like? People shouldn't be allowed to have these animals in the first place. Tisn't, we'll put down the dog, we'll get we'll, we'll mm. do away with the dog. That's only all after the event. Mm. Why have they even got it? Why have they got them in the first place? Yeah. Like they are animals. Animals interbreed and they breed here and they breed there. That thing should be all stopped. And if they have animals, they should be taken away. Implement. 
get enough people like how many councils what have we done here how many councils are out there you know that have actually active dog wardens I don't mean somebody that goes out wags the old finger and have you have no license for him and send you something but that's mm. not even rubbish stuff mm. you see the likes of Paws and these people they've been on your shows their vet spills and all these and there that should be all taken away they should be all nipped on the bud and you should only have a dog if you have the right type of a dog in the right type of environment other than that you should not be allowed to have a dog right, so that should happen at what at the licensing at stage, the licensing level it? certainly at a licensing level and certainly at an ownership level yes there should be people going around checking we have a system in this country you know that works nine to five monday to friday and probably nine to four on a friday you know, and that call a spade a spade, that's exactly what it is. It doesn't do anything after that, doesn't do anything after hours, doesn't do anything Saturday, Sundays. That system has got to change. Oh. And you've got to get people in here that'll go around and that'll implement the laws and do them properly. Right. We, I, we had an experience on the summer, my mum and I, when she was over. We were driving along um, the main Cashel Road and it was, I think it was might have been a whippet, it could have been a greyhound, but anyway, this poor dog had come out of nowhere, I don't know where, it had obviously been running for a very long time, it was absolutely petrified. There was a whole bunch of us trying to catch this dog and we could not catch this dog. And I rang and somebody else rang to try and get the dog warden out. Do you know, this was, it happened um, on a, I think it was would have been uh, on a Saturday, so mm. it was not nine to five. We could not find a number. One of the other people rang the guardie, they said it's not their, their ballywhack. So we could not get, we, ra- we tried to ring the council, no, they're closed, you know, open nine to five, not open on the weekends, So what did you do? We couldn't do, we could not get through to anybody. The dog actually, we were driving up and down the car, as soon as we get close with the car and one would stop out to try and get the dog, it would run off. So then we'd drive a bit further on and it would run in the mm. other direction. It was petrified and it was tongue was um, a lot of saliva. Like it was oh obviously very thirsty. It was a hot day. We were so mortified. It actually ended up running up, um, uh, up, up a dead end road where there was a farm at the end and it ran into the field. So we stopped and we spoke to the farmer and we said there's this whippet or greyhound that mm. is running around. Um, I don't know whatever ended up happening to that poor, poor dog because it just disappeared off into a field somewhere. Right, and but you needed some help on the day for that. And, and we could not you get any help. It. Yeah. yeah. Alison, um, you're, you're sort of involved in rural affairs and all of that and dogs and, you know, it's a constant uh, issue, isn't it? It is. And look, pop, puppy farms are still yeah. open and like I watched that video that you had of Paul, you know, and I couldn't get over yeah. how many greyhounds were there. Like the poor dogs and like they're well looked after, but like they're there in such a small little mm. you know, environment. Like yeah. It was cruel, it was heartbreaking to watch and to see the money that's thrown at the greyhound industry. Mm. Like, it's not marrying. Nothing Mm. doesn't tally up and there's, like, when you look at, there was, do you remember there was a programme on a couple of years ago about all the greyhounds going to Italy? Yeah, yeah. They adored over there and, you know, it was heartwarming to look at the love that they were given. Right. Now, that no, we have a problem with, with lurchers or greyhounds as pets here. We don't... We don't and we should. They're a beautiful yeah, they're dog. Beautiful, yeah. You know, yeah. it's a very kind, gentle dog. Mm. But the thing is, so many people got dogs during the mm. pandemic and here we are now and they've given so many away because they've either had to go back to work yeah, or the course. cost of living. And, like, a dog... No one should ever get a dog unless they're going to be part of your family. Mm. And you don't. When times get tough, you don't get rid of one of your family. Of course, you know, yes. And, and and where where the these kind of dogs that we're referring to here are concerned, the pit bulls and all of that. Um, well, like there's that to a housing authority that say that 
dog was, say, living in that house, mm. they don't allow, there's 10 breeds of dogs, I think, that they don't allow. And that dog is on that list. Mm. Again, it comes back to what Joe was saying earlier. There's no enforcement. Mm. Like, to be honest, if somebody, you know, is, is, say, is in a house, especially a house that's under a housing authority, it should be mandatory. Like, if someone owns their own house, whatever dog they have, you know, say, you're not, no one's going to come around and check them. But, like, if you're there and you're getting assistance, to have a dog, especially in an estate, yeah. that could come out... One thing I really can't understand, and I've read different articles, is why the death threats. There's never... It hasn't said who he was no, threatening or yes. why he was threatening And, and them. I think because it's before the courts, we can't really speculate on yeah. it. But, but I don't yeah, think it'd they, be interesting I, when it's... I don't think that they should allow pit bulls. I think they're like... It's like owning a gun. Mm. They're yeah. a very, very dangerous dog and the only Correct. people that mm. should licence them, you should have to have a very special licence in order mm. to own one. And the average person should not be allowed to own one and it should be a criminal matter. Absolutely. But funnily enough, our, our, our vet, Marie Lee, he said to us that, uh, yeah, absolutely true about these breeds, but she said she would leave her baby with their own dog even who is a very docile beautiful dog mm. do you know she said you can't trust you can't trust any dog, dog. and i you see know. my own little fellow who's two and a half and the dog is a jack russell and he's say turning five soon he's like another child but you know i used to watch him like mm. a hawk because yeah. he was a bit jealous because he was baby number mm. one until you know yeah. say my son came and now they're the best of friends are they yeah but you know, there could be an old leg pulled mm. or yeah. something, and you'd be and like he was very tolerant, but you'd never trust a dog. Yeah, but you see, but true. you see, the reality of it, like, is you know, like you know, we can dress it up, dress it down. Every dog, regardless, they're an animal. Mm. End up. Mm. That's where we start. Yes, they're an animal, and you can trust them so much, but you can't trust them as you say around children. They're still an animal, like, yeah. right? But when it comes to these, I think you see we got two defined altogether, like uh, on say these pit bulls. You know, we have A, B, C. I think if you have any crossbreeds of anything like that, they should be banned. End of story. Because what business have people gone round with those vicious animals? I don't know. Wood Moses. What, like, what's yeah. the purpose of them? And you can and be as careful as you want with your own child, but you can't correct. guarantee that your neighbour, who has a correct. vicious crossbreed or a pit bull or yeah. whatever, has taken any precautions, like what's happened in this case. Mm. Like, you know, uh, and uh, pit bulls are more yeah. dangerous than Jack Russell. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, and we're always doing this country, what I know what we do in this country too, is we're always, we do something after the event. So what do we do? The first is, oh, the dog was put down. Yes. Mm. Yeah. But the misfortune child is injured. Mm. The family like is distraught. Yeah. And uh, and this goes on and goes on and goes on. And if you look at say the gun laws that we have here, you know what I mean? Yes, they've been tightened up. People now, you know, the legal ones we'll call them, they have to have a gun case and they have to be this and they're inspected and all that. And you can't do the same. Are you telling me that you can't do the same like with a pit bull? Of course yes. they could. Of course they could. Well, as I say, Michal Martin spoke out about it. But now, is that it? Like, you know, until the well, next time that we read something. I don't understand why you know, it, it seems to be such a no-brainer. I mean, it's not like there's a huge pit bull lobby, you know, like saying, you know. Sa save the pit bull. Save the pit bull. Yeah, I mean, yes. the greyhound you know, industry is one thing. But, you know, it's not as if we've got, you know, drug dealers international whispering But they, need, but, but they also need, they're so dangerous, like, and they've done so much damage. You know, we shouldn't be defining down to this, down to this. Like, we should be able to say, as a country, we want to ban all these, yes, end of. Absolutely. Right. And, 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 and it just, should be done. Just and, do it. And just simple, do it and carry it out. Yeah. All right. Uh, a research project that saw a four-day week working week, a uh, four-day working week even being trialled across 12 businesses has been deemed a success by both uh, companies and the employees. 
uh, involved and um, it could well be the the norm very soon. Um, what do you make of that, uh, Alison, the four-day well, week? Wouldn't it be lovely, Fran? But I suppose, do you get paid for five days or do you get paid for four? Well, my understanding is you get paid for, for five, five days, but it's very productive four days, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think, to be honest, it would wipe a lot of small businesses out. It really depends on, like, I'd like to see uh, from that research what say companies or what businesses um, took part in that mm. because it definitely depends what area you work in. Right. Um, look, in theory it would be lovely but I think for any business owner small or medium sized enterprise So you're thinking of retail, are you? Shops and well, restaurants? and Yeah, say retail, like there's a lot of businesses that are small and medium enterprises that aren't just retail. Um, you know, you've got small manufacturing mm. companies, you've different, you know groups, um like I'd say you you could do it no problem in maybe a pharmaceutical co- company, you know, where there's mm. massive profits and like and companies where there's maybe massive government um say help um yes. as well. But I think for a small ordinary business e- I think even would, if there was as much productivity within the four days. Yeah, well the thing is it that depends because you'd maybe still need to open yeah. Six days a week. You'd need your presence there. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. it really depends. So, I think in some ways it could be a great, yes. you know... Um, well, I, I, what seems to come from the research is that particularly for women, this is is an ideal child situation. Care, from yeah, a, a childcare point of view, I think it could be a great help for to, like, the amount of people that can't get children in yeah, childcare. Yeah. If the husband and the wife will go, you know, a traditional family could both have one extra day off a week, it might make, it make things a very difference. a lot. Yeah. Joe, what do you make uh, of the four-day week? <laughs> I'm just wondering when will we have the three-day week? <laughs> <laughs> when need we not bother turning up at all? Yeah, yeah. Which is even better. No, I think this guy, honestly, I don't believe in this at all. I think it's gone, I, I gone crazy. Maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I think it's gone crazy. I think there's... And you I will have us all uh, in the coal mines. I will... I, I, no, no, I would agree. With, well, I know somebody, I'll tell you a true story. A person was interviewed last week by Zoom at 10 a.m. in the morning. And the individual was inside in bed with their partner during the interview. <laughs> and the interviewer had to say, oh, sorry, I can't, conduct, I can't conduct this interview. I have to stop. <laughs> now, is this where we're going tonight? Right? I think myself, you get a job. And that's the truth. Now, that did happen. You get a job. You go for a job. You do your job. I think it's going to apply to certain in industries, as Alison has alluded to, that you can possibly work from home. I know people work from home doing it quite successfully. But at the other side, the flip side of that is then, is there's a lot more to going to work. You're meeting colleagues, you're mm. interacting with people, you have you have, you have a lot more going on as well when you're doing that, that you don't have if you're at home, you know. Like I would have seen there during the COVID a lot of uh, issues like I know uh, a couple of like and dad, uh, two in family and both of them were working from home. A small house, so they never left the bedroom oh, because sure. they were on a laptop in the bedroom doing their job, doing their eight hours, but they slept in the same bedroom. Like So this, there's a lot more to it than going, you know, Don't there's more to yeah. it than just the, the job like. But you can't do every job either from um, four days a week. Rachel, you're smiling a lot at, oh, at, at Joe. I think, yeah. Look at Iceland. Apparently something like 84% now of businesses and, and society in Iceland is now doing the four-day work week very productively. The problem is, is that you have to talk about a massive societal shift mm. in the same way that we went from you know no regulation so you know kids and everybody was working every hour that god gave them to the five day 40 yes. hour work week because when was i was growing up six days a week was yeah the it was a massive week. societal yeah. shift yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and obviously there's a difference between, you know, thought work where it actually works very well if you're in one of those industries where, um, you know, particularly if you recognise that people have different times when they work better. So some people are night owls, other people are cracker dawn people. And getting giving people more autonomy in those areas with their, if they're able to work at the times that, you know, that they suit them the best. And obviously there's other industries such as, you know, um, f- uh, people facing retail shops, mm. you know, medical mm. teaching, all those types of things where it's a little bit more difficult because then you have to have a societal change. I mean, childcare, if we went to a four-day work week, we'd have to have a four-day school week, you know. So yes. we're talking about the, a massive the, societal the, change. The academic behind this is making the point and saying our findings hold important lessons for the future of work mm. in this in this country, you know. So do you, do you see this changing pretty soon? I think any farmer watching the programme is there going, uh, seven-day work week, Tell the cows. Like, come on. Tell the cows we're on a four-day. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, say, it's, um, so I don't know if I can see it. You know, I can yeah. see it in certain sectors. Like, I do, yeah. um, what did you ask me again? Sorry, Fran, I was yeah. too busy to talk, thinking of No, but I was just wondering, is everything being, I mean, far be it for most to be standing up for employers uh, here, but... <laughs> Is everything is sort of is is it the employees sort of market now in every way? Is it? Well, it is at the moment because yeah. look, there's so many jobs out there. Yeah, people are desperate for staff. Um, but I suppose you have to look at you know the holidays given too. If you're on a four day week, are you still getting holidays well, for five days? The, because these are all the things. And then you'd probably have to employ another member of staff because you're still going to have to be open. So there's a lot, you know, in theory, it sounds wonderful. Yes. You know, wouldn't we all love a four day work week? But, but there's a lot of those trends that you're talking about lead, um, feeding into why uh, town centres and small shops are closing down. Uh, like you have the rates. You have the you have all these things as well, and you everybody the small shopkeeper is trying to pay out everything the whole time. The employer is the last person that we're talking about here. Everybody's talking about the employee yeah, and the employee course, and yeah. the rights mm. and all this kind of thing. The employer is the one that's never that's not being spoken about at all. Absolutely, yeah. We touched on something similar earlier on in the program where we were talking about landlords and how yes. you know they're mm. always painted as being the villain yes. of, of of the piece. You know when you know the truth is a lot of people bought extra homes for for their pensions, correct? And for for correct. all of that, and uh, ended and up that's why a lot of them are getting out of it now. You know, yeah, mm. yeah. Well, terrific panel as always. Thank you very much indeed, Rachel and. Uh, to Alison and uh, to Joe. That's it uh, from me. Uh, Emma produced Ali looks after her content. Stephen is on the way and I will talk to you on Monday. Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie